Minefields. My name is Joshua Michael. This is my best friend in the whole fucking world. Sorry, Dad. Uh, Colin Ward. <laughs> Why? Because your Sorry, dad, dad is uh, not your best friend? <laughs> no, my dad listens in and he's like, you curse too much. I'm like, okay, it's it's not necessary, but yeah. I got all hyped right off the bat. Got all hyped. Yeah. Let me this, see here. I'm double checking my levels. Day of, yeah. What is this? Our levels yeah, are hot. We're running hot. January. Yeah, levels are good. Levels are good. Thirteenth day of January. January. Never been. A, never been. My one. my obligatory. Never been what? One of my favorite. I'm not one of my favorite months generally, but uh, January is uh, the most depressing month of the whole year. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a summer. New year, sure new me. Up. Huh. I'm going to go to the gym. Oh, yeah, all that. Boy, yeah, I live next to a, a giant gym, and uh, their parking lot was full after um, uh, just after New Year's Day. Like, on New Year's Day, after New Year's Day, that place was packed. Until someone got shot in the parking lot the third day of January and then just ghost town again? What? Did that happen? I didn't hear about that. Where was that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just assuming since you're in Tulsa. Oh, it could be. No, <laughs> I think people went back to work, got busy, and forgot about their New Year's resolution. Except for all the people who were posting about it on Facebook relentlessly. Yeah, they uh, they feel like they're losing weight playing their gym dues for the next five months before they figure out how to cancel it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, could be. I don't know. There's a gym in my apartment complex that I've probably I'm not. I haven't been very consistent about going, but I have been there several times. And it's a really nice gym, honestly. It's well stocked and uh, with equipment and free weights and um, stuff like that. And if I want to go down there and watch t- movies on TNT or something, that's that's going because I'm not paying for TV lately. Uh, nope. But uh, I've been watching Netflix, and I started watching. We we were talking about this just a second ago. Um, uh, I like there's stuff that I'll definitely buy on DVD. Just because, you know, what I just did, I lived in a hotel for three months, and sometimes the Wi-Fi sucks, so I'll take a DVD player with me, but uh, it turned out they had HBO, and that's why I was able to watch so much Watchmen, but um, I bought Chernobyl on DVD, and I'm planning on watching that. I'm finally watching season two of uh, Star Trek Discovery. I'm only two episodes in, but I started watching Dracula on Netflix, and that is freaking great. Those episodes are just long, though. Um, 
I saw a uh, I saw a billboard poster for it, uh-huh. which made which made me think it was going to be great because the design of it was it was all white and then it had these knives sticking out of it and at the and a, and a light shining at the right time so at night it, the the light shined on it and knives formed the silhouette of Dracula like screaming fangs about to bite somebody. Yeah, that was awesome. I saw a time lapse of that happening on. Uh I don't know, Facebook or something like that. And I kept thinking, man, you used to see all the most inventive, cool as hell uh, posters or billboards for things in L.A. And it's just not like that, you know, anywhere outside of that. Maybe in New York. I remember seeing posters, uh, not posters, but ads that would roll down the entire outside of a building. And uh, I remember when the ads for Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles came out. Um, there wasn't any uproar or anything, but I remember, um, what's her name? Summer Glau. Summer Glau, who was the Terminator in that show. And, uh, they had one really almost racy poster that was on every bus terminal, it seemed, where she was like hanging, she was looking at you, but she was suspended from her Terminator guts, but she was mostly naked. It was just kind of like... It just seemed racy for some reason, but racy robot porn. What a what a hot robot that she was. Yeah, I, I feel I feel guilty because I had no idea that Shirley Manson was in that, and I'm a huge oh, garbage dude. fan. Dude, yep, a huge garbage fan, and by garbage fan, I must define it: first three records only. Uh, every record that's come out have I haven't liked one note on it, and so I you know stop tuning and like remember you know when your fingers go to your computer and you don't know where to go and like your like 18 year old self like types in like toolband.com something you used to go to like daily <laughs> ultimatebandlist.com um, yeah something like that you used to go to all the time and like uh so I, I i i need to watch that if she's in it i've been in love with that woman since like 1994 i can't recall but i feel like she was in the second season mainly i could be totally wrong but, um, yeah, her character was fascinating, and she did a really, really great job. Um, Without any words? No, she, or dialogue? she constantly had dialogue. She always had dialogue. She was always doing something interesting. And um, Did she have an Irish accent? She had whatever accent she's got, yeah. From Edinburgh? Edinburgh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, tell me why Dracula's good. Dracula, oh, dude. Okay, I mean... It takes a lot of stuff from the uh, original novel, the source material from Bram Stoker, but it also is paying attention to the fact that the uh, – oh, golly, I can't think of the the, uh, director's name suddenly. The movie with Gary Oldman and everybody in it from uh, the early 90s, 1993. Francis Ford Coppola. So good. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola. I, I remember seeing that and being terrified when I went to bed that night because it was the first midnight showing I'd ever been to. And um, after after watching it, thinking, that was a strange movie, but then eventually falling in love with it. Like, I really loved that movie. And it, I didn't go into this thinking this is going to be a retelling or anything. It is. It's the story of Dracula that you are familiar with but it's flipped on its head in some little spots. Um, I don't. I mean, it's fresh enough. I don't want to give anybody any spoilers necessarily. But yeah, it, the first episode—they're very long. I feel like they're all an hour and a half at least. Like they're fe- almost feature-length episodes. Um, 
first episode takes place in the castle. Jonathan Harker's there. The whole thing with letters going back and forth to Mina in England. And it's very much like what you would expect. But there's some other things going on where there are characters from a, a convent who are interviewing Jonathan after the fact of whatever has gone down in Dracula's castle. Is is he in England already and he's already crazy? Uh, no, no, definitely not. He is not. Um, and uh, that doesn't feel too spoilery to say. Uh, well, it just, it just seems kind of like a skewed timeline because... It's a little bit... Uh, because he Renfield had to be on the uh, ship to take him to make sure he had safe passage from uh, Romania to uh, Europe, Wallachia. England. Wallachia. Uh, and um, yeah, it's not like that. Okay, I, I'm gonna say whatever your apprehensions are, whatever you're expecting, whatever you want it to be or don't want it to be, one way or another, I think that it's absolutely worth watching. I I, I watched the second episode today. And it ended on such a shocking flip that I was like, oh, my God, I cannot wait to see the next episode. I'm like, I've been thinking about it all day. Like, when am I going to sit down and watch that? Should I just forego something and sit down and watch the next one? I'm going to say it's got one of the highest, like, binge-worthy things that I've uh, like rating that I've encountered in a long time. I really want to sit down and watch the next episode and they, I don't feel like they are all going to end on some kind of like walking dead comic shock moment. You know, I feel like they're all going to be like, Hey, blah, 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 blah. And this is crazy. And then something happens and then it's like, boom, you're set up for the next episode. What the hell? So yeah, there's only there's only so much you can do with the cliffhanger ending. I mean, like, I'm, honestly, I got exhausted of that back in the ninety or mid nineties with the X Files. Oh yeah, uh, every every season ended with a cliffhanger. Um, I, I do have to say that I I'm I can't wait to watch it because it's got your stamp of approval. But mm-hmm. I do have the um, the the line from Interview with the Vampire that is that caused me to not click on it immediately was the musings of a demented Irishman from Brad Pitt's lips. Um, in regards to Dracula, um, I love Francis Ford Coppola's version of it. Uh, Gary Oldman is just one of my top four actors ever. Oh, God, um, he's incredible. Oh, but is is the new Dracula pulling it off? I mean, is, wow, they, is dude, he... absolutely. Like there were a little, a couple of places. You know, you you know the story, and you know what Dracula the yeah. movie was all like. And uh, it's not like definitely not like a shot for shot thing, but the concept of this decrepit ancient creature that is uh, terrifying, but for an Englishman's being polite um, and putting up with it to a certain extent, a couple of those moments feel a little bit over the top by way of his acting and then as he stops appearing so horrendous and starts to look more like something that we has a little bit of sex appeal, his character takes on a whole new, um, no puns, like a whole new life. And, uh, you know, he's not layered under special effects makeup and is, is sex like appeal really a thing or is it just something that's kind of a side, like it just happens not, to be kind of sexy. They're really not 
forcing that issue. I'm just going to I'm just looking for the memes about or the comments to show up on social media about this guy that's. I don't know what to say, you know, he's he's a middle aged guy, the actor. uh, It's his hair. It's it's going to come through in his acting. This it's not sensual. It's just Mm -hmm. it's just that kind of like. Ooh man, it's just the way this guy acts and the way this guy moves and whatever, but he's got all these feral moments and these just lustful moments and stuff like that. It just really works. Um Now that is that is what I want to see in an actor that can pull off sexiness while being vicious and violent. You're Especially love like this, yeah. with, with 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 their tone with their mannerisms, it's not too over the top. I mean, like, granted, I love the original brand, um, not Bram Stoker, uh, the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi, mm-hmm. where he integrated that Romanian uh, accent just because it's just how we fucking talked. But um, I, I appreciate that sort of thing when you can pull ten things off with with one glance of an eye. Yeah. But uh, let's uh, before yeah, we move on to Morbius, before we move on to Morbius and more blood sucking. I do have to give my obligatory Simpsons quote, uh, Bart Simpson's uh, Dracula from, uh, God, I think it had to have been like season five, Trios of Horror, when they go to Mr. Burns' uh, estate in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like uh, Burns' shadow is alive, but it's like playing with a yo-yo and like making funny faces and shit. And he's like, did you see that? And Homer's like, yeah. His hairdo looks so queer. <laughs> uh, we just watched from another age. It was from another age, and by queer, he probably meant just different. So mm-hmm. don't get in a bunch of babies. I don't think we would. I don't think we really have to worry about offending anyone. And I think we've pretty much established our uh, audience that we're going to kind of toe the line. Yeah. I mean, mm. I don't. Yeah, I really. I feel like we aren't apologizing for anything generally, but uh, I think we've made our point several times about how we feel about things Mm -hmm. and the world and what kind of people we are. So, And guys, if if, if you don't know who we are, just go back and download every single one of our episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Morbius, Morbius, I was excited. What did you think? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I didn't know that this was happening, and then I heard, uh, honestly, I heard that the trailer dropped today, and I was like, okay, whatever. I didn't know that it was going to be Jared Leto until you brought it up, and so, yeah, right before the show, uh, Joshua and I sat and watched the trailer together, and um, kind of like when we do a Star Trek, we just kind of synced it up and, and watched it, and uh, I mean, it just, it looks like a... A typical trailer, but it looks really compelling. I'm interested in seeing it. It's very unusual. Actually, I can't really say that. It's surprising to me what content Marvel has uh, pushed over the years. I still bowled over that there is an amazing Doctor Strange movie an amazing Guardians of the Galaxy movie, let alone a couple of them. And like or Punisher, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist. Oh my god, Iron yeah. Fist, Luke Cage, all of these characters getting huge pushes. Um and maybe, you know, some of those shows aren't on anymore, but nevertheless it's just still surprising to me that these got got the uh got the attention that they got. And then Morbius, I mean 
I understand, yeah, it's Sony. Sony's probably trying to scrape the Spider-Man barrel for all the content it can get before it, you know... If they, if they manage to keep coming up with that stuff, then they can hold Marvel in a handshake rather than Marvel reaching around and, like, taking things out from under them. Um, and definitely that's a Spider-Man property, so, yeah. Uh, I think the casting is interesting. Who was the actor that you brought up that was in the trailer? The Irish character, oh, Irish actor, the the one where immediately like, we like that guy, yeah. uh, Jared Harris, Jared, Jared Harris. Harris, and Sherlock Holmes, the last of the Mohicans. Um, wow, he's he's got a great resume here on IMDb. Uh, the Quiet Ones, Axe Cop as a voice. If you if you guys are into Axe like brutes of brutes really. of ca- ca- cartoons, he was in Mad Men. He was in Lincoln. Uh, he was actually oh, a voice God. in the Black Freighter uh, from Watchmen. No kidding. Ah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I gotta say. Uh, I I watch one scene from Lincoln on YouTube over and over all the time. I mean, I'm obviously a big fan of uh, of uh, Civil War related stuff, and he did a very good job playing uh, Ulysses S. Grant in that movie. Um, uh, I, I do got to uh, give one more uh, since you brought up Lincoln. One more Simpsons quote: Ralph Wiggum holding his hand up, Miss Hoover. Was President Lincoln okay? <laughs> <laughs> Did he make it? Oh man, no. But look, I'm 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 pulling this up, and we're seeing rumored J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson. We've oh, got Matt Smith. Oh yeah, we don't. We've got Michael Keaton, and okay, so guys, we had to, we hashed this out before we uh, started the recording. Um, <clears throat> Spider Man Homecoming was a Marvel property leased out through Sony, so I can see why they could put Michael Keaton in another Marvel thing or film or whatever you want to yeah. call it without them feeling like they're intruding on Adrian Toomes. Uh, Tyrese Gibson's in it. Uh, oh. The girl, the girl that is the, the lab assistant, is uh, Martine Ban. Or she's playing Martine Bancroft, Adria Ariona, and. Uh, she was in True Detective, Emerald City, Pacific Rim, uh, Life of the Party. I don't see. Pacific I, I don't. She was in Fortnite. I don't ever played that game. I, I don't think I've seen any of the movies or shows she's ever been in. Unforgettable. Yeah, yeah she's. She, uh, but I hope she pulls it off. Now, I, I do want to bring thing up. One thing up that that really stuck out to me that I've never noticed before, and I really want to give Marvel um, their their just just comments for this. That you can do a whole trailer. For Morbius, and only show one split second of him with the the pug nose of him being the actual vampire. Uh-huh. Then it then it really occurred to me that they have built such a trust in their Netflix properties that are now over, unfortunately. Uh, Punisher, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, uh, Iron Fist, even Daredevil. That they have enough trust within their writing and how they pull things off that you don't have to see the Punisher wearing his Punisher outfit with the skull at all times. Rarely did they show him in, in that outfit. Rarely did you see Luke Cage uh, really looking like Power Man or, or, or whatever you want to say. Like, he Little obviously is not. And the chain around the, Twirling the chains, yeah. Or see Iron Fist in the in the, the hood and all that good stuff. Or, or, or the fact that you can pull Jessica Jones off when she's in her, like, you know, late night diner ne'er-do-well New York clothes in Hell's Kitchen that you don't have to see the Wolverine <laughs> in, his, in his tights. You've built that much trust in 
what you're doing that, yeah, okay, we can do this. We can, we can buy into your drama and, and invest in some characters in a way that we've never really invested in. Yeah. The other thing is, is that, um, uh, the other day I was mentioning this earlier, uh, when, like, you know, we wake up and you've got that hodgepodge of thoughts that are just hitting you and like, you know, when you're coming to, and I, I, for some reason, my brain wanted to remember what the hell that neon sign was in Batman returns that Catwoman broke. And it says, hello oh, there. Hello and, there. Yeah. And then, and then hell here. And then I remembered her falling out the window and then just the cats giving her the power just from biting her. That's what I thought immediately when I saw the bats coming at him. Like, cause I, yep. I, from what I remember, he was, you know, he had the disease, he cured it. We're talking post, um, comic, um, what do we call it here? <sighs> what do you mean? You the comic code post. Oh, comic post code, co- comics code post, authority. Post comic code, so he couldn't really be a bloodsucker. It, it, it was plasma. You know, Blade narrowly missed that mm-hmm. uh, that limbo pole. However, it, that's what it reminded me of. But you know, you said you know she didn't really get powers, but she did kind of. She did almost get nine lives. (laughs) I've always wondered about that. You know, Batman Returns, one of my favorite, it's my favorite Batman movie. I love that movie. Christmas movie. We should push that. It's a Christmas movie. It's such a Christmas (laughs) movie. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, yeah, that whole business, I always wondered like, what the hell is going on with all these cats chewing on her in the alley while she's, well, you know, after she, fell all that way and did, did, did she get powers no nobody in that franchise has powers and this so is a death wish yeah it's yeah exactly so the nine lives thing i think was one of those great movie magic pieces that it's just like hey it's movie magic whether it's powers or not but uh i don't care i mean what are when you if you're whether doing something with a character not, like glorious. morbius i'm not so tied to some kind of continuity that I would be pissed if they did it some way differently or if he got bit by a vampire bat and whatever. I, it, none of that bothers me. Like, you know, I, I, I got to say it. I actually kind of liked that Venom movie. It was silly and it was the kind of thing that I think of guys who work on cars in their garage all the time or motorcycles liking. It's just I Why not, not to disparage anybody. Why not? Just, there's a particular yeah. type of people that are like, hey, it's Venom, dude. And it's just the same type of people that are like, hey, it's Deadpool. And it's I'm like, yeah, it was the, he was an It character a long, long time ago. And uh, are we having some technical issues? Or are we good? Yeah, we might be tuning out on Skype. I'll keep talking for a second and see if it all clicks. But yeah, I mean, yeah, seriously, not to disparage anybody, but that kind of stuff always... There's a particular type of fan base within the fandom that is going to be hot for Venom. And I don't know if there if there's a particular fan base that's like, oh, yeah, Morbius, for sure. I really think that it's the opportunity for uh, um, for Sony to try to keep scraping their Spider-Man barrel. So uh, let's see. At 22... Minutes and fifty seconds. Sound sync clap for technical issues. Right. No, I, I completely agree, man. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my buddy today. He's about to start an apprenticeship at a tattoo place, and I was like, "Hey, make sure try to bring some cool like if you got some underground art magazines that are old school, bring those and bring a bunch of CDs." And he's like, "Why?" And I'm like, "Because I used to like back in back in the days, hang out at tattoo places in OKC, 
and those are just good places to just smoke up weed all day and listen to good records. And, and he's like, okay, okay. And I was like, yeah, I do that. And, um, but yeah, it's just a different type of people. There's just rockabilly people there hanging out. Uh, yeah. Um, if the, if that's the type of Venom movie you wanted and that's what you got, hell yeah, you got what you wanted. Maybe one day I'll get mine. Honestly, I already have gotten my, my, my Venom movie, which was truth and journalism by Adi Shankar. Oh, uh, right. The, uh, yeah. Yes. So I – so hey, I yeah, wasn't – Hold on. If you guys haven't seen that, look that up. Say it again. Truth and Journalism. Truth and Journalism. It's a fan – it's a one of those fan films, but it's not those Bush League fan films. This is high-end. Uh, Audition Card did um, Dirty Laundry with Thomas Jane oh. and Ron Perlman. Which he was did the, ha- a oh, God. story. It was a hard R before they did Punisher. Before that was that was back in 2012. This was still uh, after the Punisher. Uh, this is the Punisher movie that we had with Tom Jane. Mm-hmm. Who, thank you, I love Tom Jane, and he was an awesome mm-hmm. Punisher. Yeah. Um, so, so I already got. I, this was we, a, we already got our good. Sorry, yeah. I'm getting excited. I got an unsanctioned sequel, basically. Yeah. Because Tom Check Jane was doing it. He did. He did. He helped finance it with Ron Perlman, with Eddie Shankar. Eddie Shankar also is an executive producer on the Castlevania cartoon. He also oh, worked a on – show. I like that show. Oh, we love it. Uh, he also uh, worked on Dread with uh, Carl, uh, Carl Urban. I still haven't um, seen that. i got to check that out. Oh, it's, it's great. But he did Truth and Journalism with Ryan – God, I can't remember his name. He was uh, uh, Sookie's brother in True Blood playing Eddie Brock. And I mean we're talking true blue Venom references. Like we're talking uh, for all all y'all David Michelin and McFarlane fans from back in like 88, 89, the Sin Eater is referenced. We're talking the – they they pass by the church. So that's an interesting church. Yeah, a lot of stuff happened there. <laughs> um told from the perspective of a, um, a French camera crew following Eddie Brock who is you – know, doing good but um 80s music uh if you want a reference to brock in his crappy new york apartment lifting weights with like totally articles on spider-man everywhere they nail it and it's maybe 15 minutes long unfortunately you you can find it on youtube but there was too much music in them for them to keep it for them to keep the sound so you're gonna have to find a bootleg version of something that's actually a a boot technically a bootleg Look up Eddie Shankar. The guy's great. The only thing I don't like about him is um, it's not that he's Indian, but he had a big beef with trying in, in a large hand in trying to get uh, Apu removed from The Simpsons. Oh yeah, Dave. I I, I, I I've never met. I I, can, I I understand how we could find that offensive. I can also understand that some people still think it's funny. It was a parody and. Okay, I'm sorry he got his feelings hurt. Maybe he didn't even get his feelings hurt at all. Maybe he just wants to remove that from the cultural zeitgeist, which is fine. But to remove a whole character that's been around for more than 30 years? I, I know. Come on. See, that's but, like, part, that, that antagonizes me in, in the way that watching Kevin Smith's comic book guys antagonizes me. Oh, do you see that show? Yeah, there's a show about comic books. I bet you love that. No, I hate it because I'm not a fan of... Kevin Smith, and I don't like any of his little minion friends. Right. And, and uh, that show makes – that show – I think that kind of thing pushes the wrong idea about people in a subset 
more than Apu ever has. And Apu, yeah, Apu never offended me. He, he like there was some obvious some stereotypes that they played upon, but it was never. But I'm not Indian. I never found it offensive. Something that would like in in bad taste. But at the same time, though, if you want to follow that same logic, then don't watch the Honeymooners. Erase it from history. Then if you don't, then don't watch All in the Family. And if you don't like the Honeymooners, then don't watch the Flintstones. How do you? Okay, uh, let me ask you this: How do you? How do you qualify your you and your family in terms of being Mexican? Yeah. Um, I mean, are you Mexican? Are you Mexican American? What do you? How do you guys go about it? Well, wow, man, that's kind of a that's a that's a that's a good question because. Um, I, I, I'm Mexican, like I'm Mexican American third generation, but you know, none of us speak Spanish because all our family members spoke Spanish in front of us. So we didn't know what they were saying. All of us, like <laughs> there's, there's that old teaching Chong song, Mexican Americans love education. So they go to night school and take Spanish and get a B. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we forget it all. Like all my friends, when I moved back to Albuquerque, it was like, None of us spoke Spanish and like we didn't care. We all had the same story. But at the same time though, I grew up in the military and it was such a hodgepodge that, man, I didn't experience racism until like I moved to Guam. And it was just because the Tremoros didn't like white people. But it was odd because the the, the Tremoro women loved white boys, hated white women and vice versa for men – for the men. And then I remember being in Montgomery, Alabama and – seeing the Klan march downtown uh, on TV at the Capitol where I was there the day beforehand on a field trip. It was odd, but they honestly, I was a little disappointed. They weren't in their, their robes and horses. They were just a bunch of fat fucking rednecks in their like beer stained KKK t-shirts. And in oh, regards wow. to what you're in, in regards to what you're saying, my personal family uh, is a nuclear family moving around in the military. We, we love our aunts, uncles, cousins, but being away from everyone, we're very we're not we're not really detached, but at the same time though, it's just it's just been us, so that's all we know. We still love them. But in terms of the culture, man, we made tamales like crazy. It was just us four this Christmas, well, but it wasn't it wasn't like we're Mexican, we have to make tamales. I don't let find me ask you this, I, though. What is there anything that you like we're we're not we're not men of India, right? Like you oh, say I get, the, the, I get what you're the saying. reason yeah. I'm asking is like has there been anything that you ever saw that Never. offended you or were you just like, oh, I know I get what they're doing there and it's funny? Never. Even even Speedy Gonzalez never bothered me. His cousin <laughs> Slowpoke slow Rodriguez didn't bother me and his love of Tabasco sauce. Yeah, I love that shit. Um, I never found it like next Friday. The, the the Mexicans were my favorite part of that movie, even though they were just just the worst stereotype of Mexican gangsters. But they were the funniest thing about that movie. Uh, you want to if you want to commit suicide around me, talk shit about Selena. I don't know what to oh, say, dude. I love Selena. <laughs> I, yeah. I I forgot all about Selena for a while, and then a couple of months ago, I was just laying there in the hotel room thinking about. I don't know how it came to me. Probably it was YouTube because I listen to so much stuff on YouTube. And it was like, oh, yeah, hey, uh, Selena. And I was like, holy shit, I haven't thought about this in forever. And like played the crap out of some Selena overnight. And then I've been – I'm still listening. I, I This is the thing. This is where it gets – I don't know. Is it weird? As a white guy, I can't like – I can't say that I've listened to a bunch of her Spanish – language music compared to the you know the crossover hit you know and that's it and like yeah but 
but you're but what what sucks though, and I get your point. I I, I have found nothing on television about Mexican Americans offensive. Um, uh, I was listening to a podcast with Joe Rogan, and he was talking about a guy that used to work for the Mexican government, uh, almost as a federale in in some uh-huh. sense, and is now an American citizen. And he was describing the cartel situation and the the difference between Mexican culture. Uh, American culture, and he said something really interesting to me that the biggest enemy of a Mexican is another Mexican, and I've seen that before. Where oh, I'm, I'm, and I've, I've, I've also heard um, George Lopez joke about it. Um, and he's right about it. Like oh, I'm not Mexican, I'm Hispanic. Yeah. Um, no, uh, there's no. He says there's no Hispania. Um, oh, I'm Mexican, but. My my parents are Mexican, but I'm Spanish. No, but I I have Spanish in me. I have Mexican in me. I have Apache Indian in me. Um, the 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 things that offend me are the are the things that uh, high bred white bred Mexicans decide that mm-hmm. all of a sudden that they they don't um, relate to Mexican culture anymore. But it's in that they're better than us. And I've I've experienced huh. that before. Yeah. I've experienced it the way before. I've heard the same way I hear black people, dark skinned black people, talk about the the way that light skinned black people are to them. It, it's it's it completely confounded me. And I was like, oh, like that's a thing. And I've yeah. I've heard that it's not a thing. That it is a thing. I've seen it on TV. I've seen it in cartoons. Um, but that's the best way I can describe it. What sucks to me is that you can't be proud of any of your English or Irish. Uh, culture in any way whatsoever right now without you being branded a, a white supremacist gun-loving sack of shit. I feel that way, yeah. Oh, it's it, solidly English. The problem the, – the grief, it's not much but like – because it's only I, – I think it's all a matter of how much you want it to be grief uh, that I've ever taken – from people is oh you were the guys who went around and oppressed everybody including the Irish yeah. and uh you know like oh yeah it's St Patrick's Day you're gonna wear green and I'm like I'm gonna be obstinate and I'm gonna wear orange and just be a prick because I'm tired yeah. of everybody telling me how I'm supposed to feel about stuff another um, another another no, great usually I celebrate St Patrick's Day friendly and wear green it's okay. You should, but I got another census quote. Uh, it's St. Patty's Day, where everyone is, where everyone, everyone is Irish, except of course uh, the Italians and the gays. Oh, wow, <laughs> dude! It was like '94 when they said that joke, but it was just like one of those things. Like, like, and like you see these guys, like, like one guy named Sully fighting another guy named Sully. It was ridiculous. So it was like this hodgepodge of blended. Like, we hate everyone and are gonna like joke on everyone at the same time, so it's okay. And um. I'm, I'm not saying that you should go around saying, you know, I'm proud to be white. I, I, it just it just bothers me that you. It's not can't, about being proud. It's no, about it's being not. Fine with it. I'm fine with who I am. But and you're I know, my best friend, oh so of course God, I've got, you live in this gilded life where you're a white heterosexual Christian male, etc. Blah blah blah. What am I supposed to do with that? Except just do what I'm doing. I am not going to wander around the world bemoaning everybody else's circumstances. I'm certainly not going to wander around the world taking advantage of anybody's circumstances. I, just people are people. And you're, you're I'm sorry rich. that it's not a world of equality, and I'm sorry I'm on the wrong side of what everybody thinks is equal. Yeah, you're, you're not rich. You, you don't have uh, – yeah, I'm sure you have a leg up in certain situations, but like uh, from in your industry, the best person gets the best job. 
Um, <laughs> not even, not even. Almost. My my most opinion places. about my my career is, I respect. I, like I I'm a person who believes in meritocracy. I hire people again and again because they prove themselves all the time. I see. I, people, I see energy. I, do, I see I intellect. It's that's that's how I rate it as a meritocracy. But I feel like the film industry, and I know a lot of women will say otherwise, is the place to go to be surrounded by everybody because it has everybody. I see more non or I don't know what to say. I mean, I I see I just see everything. I see women, I see people of color, I see white people, I see people from outside the US who are working on it. I like oh my gosh, how many how many cinematographers uh, DPs, they're DPs. How many of them are not American? Like I, right. I it seems like I'm rarely working with a DP who's American. Uh it's just that way, you know. I just did a movie with a lady director and that was fantastic. I thought she was great. I really appreciated her. Like I would appreciate anybody. Just be a good just be good at what you're doing. That's it. That's willing, all I require. Just be good at what you do. I don't care who I'd you be are. willing I'd be willing to bet two things have gone on with you, whether or not in hiring process. Giving someone a second chance that if that. Me, that is messed up, uh, regardless of how bad they messed up, as long as they can prove themselves they're gonna get the job done. And second off, uh, what you really see is someone that gets a job done and someone that doesn't get the job done, regardless of what's going on. More often, yeah, that's true. And more often than not, the thing. And I'm sorry, guys, this is not talking about comics, but um, we'll get the comics. We will. We, we, the, the thing that gets me is I've only ever had to fire one person, and I still love that guy. Like I, I would, I can't, I haven't seen him since that happened, but I don't bear him any ill will. I really like him, uh, and then. I can't wait to see him again. I know where to run into him. I just, I'm not down there, so I don't run into him. And then, like, uh, and there were very particular reasons, and it's a pattern. It's a pattern of behavior that gets you to that point with me. And then there's people I would definitely not hire, and I know, and I have very specific reasons for that. And I've had them challenge me, like, I, well, we don't even work together anymore, so I feel like I can say this, that, or the other. And I'm like, you could have said that back then. When we were working together, the difference is you either did something consistently that made me think I don't want to have you around for some for some professional reasons or uh, you made me uncomfortable consistently enough or I found somebody who is just better at it than you are, which doesn't mean – that. I know it's a double negative, but doesn't mean I won't hire you again. It just means – I've got somebody that I'm working with consistently because we get along that well or they do this for me or whatever. And then I don't I'm not even the guy that gets to hire sometimes. Sometimes I get I get hired and I'm working for other people. And then I get to reprove myself. You know, and I mean like that's just I'm sorry that the world isn't built around that actuality. That's the right. one that I work in. This isn't the same thing as you know who's going to get the job at the firm or whatever? Who's going to get the uh, yeah? Who's going to get the job? What 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 face do we want to use to present ourselves? You know, it just this is I do a different thing than other people. I'm just going to say if you if you feel like the world is shutting you out and you can keep that from being your entire personality, you can get 
I feel like you can get work, at least in the entertainment industry, at least in filmmaking. Now, Take some I'm, I'm, classes, and you can get there. I'm glad you brought that up because yesterday I was uh, I, I got the pleasure of interviewing some local filmmakers, and oh, that's right, one of, yeah. One of them one of them asked me how do you how, how do you know when it when it went well, and I I don't think you and I've ever really we've talked about it but not really solidified it. And I want, I want to put, this is for you as well. Uh Um, I know that the podcast went well. If I have the same feeling I felt after leaving uh, my 4,000 level English literature courses in at, at, at OU, whether or not my argument was heard, but we had a discussion, a discourse. Um, there was no hatred. There was open forum. Sorry, I had a cough. No, no. And um, my allergies are going crazy right now. Open forum, and I feel like I accomplished something more than digging a ditch or planting a field in a two-hour-long conversation. In a two-hour conversation, because it enlightened me hearing other people's point of perspective. Now, if you don't like what we're saying, turn us off. But if you just if but if you do or or you're curious. You know, that's what we're here for. And I know you're like, yeah, we've been going we might have been going a little bit too long just talking about random things in between Morbius and vampires and that sort of thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> or va- but, vampires but, and stuff. Yeah, the, that's but, a subculture this, this I'm not sort of feeling. I'm not gonna say that, that uh yeah, you know, the meritocracy of working with vampires, I just don't see it, you know, it gotta be out of the sunlight and whatever. I'm I'm a little bit upset that they didn't actually hire real vampires for this movie. Um, well, I mean, even a non-vampire <laughs> has has issues and turnaround times, and you know there are SAG rules and stuff like that. Did they get union vampires for this? Because if not, <laughs> I think it's funny that we're talking about this because I just went to. Uh, my union meeting yesterday. Uh, Kicking ass yesterday. We both kicked some serious ass yesterday. By the way. Yeah, I'm, I, I I love it when I come away from a union meeting and my and my president or anybody has asked me to do something that I would qualify as homework. Like, okay, yeah, let's try to let's think about doing this, and then maybe you can give us a report at the next meeting. And I'm like, wow, what a responsibility! Yes, I can't wait to figure that out. So. Yeah, that's a thing. Like I took I took today off. I was feeling beat, and like so tomorrow I've got to call a couple of guys and be like, hey, what? Do you, how do you want to? How do we think we ought to approach this? And blah blah blah. It's a, I, I can't I can't talk about the the real material, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm fascinated. You know, we can talk about though. Um, we got oh, comics. We got comics to talk about. We got <laughs> yeah, comics. comics. All right, so we're going to go pretty in-depth on uh, maybe one or two, actually maybe like three, and then kind of brush over a few. Um, we don't have any vampire-related comics this week, do we? Uh, no. No, Jubilee's no, 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 no Jubilee, Jubilee's no longer a vampire. Oh, how did okay, that happen? So, how did they clean, start with X-Men then, and then please, let's segue no. off of that. How did she manage that one? Uh, um. I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. I'd like to think I'm really good at X-Men and I've read almost every X-Men comic for the past like 20 years. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. However, um, I, I think it was one of those things like uh, New 52 or like Marvel Now and like all of a sudden it just, they just kind of forgot about it like or they, they, they rebirthed it. Uh, I, I really don't remember how she's no longer a vampire, but she still has her uh, – 
her um, her kid. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to. I don't want to start with uh, with with X Men. But okay, let's go. Okay, over okay. We're doing we're doing Thor, Viking King Part One. Marvel's number one, Yonder number four, Rise of Kylo Ren Chapter two. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Joe Hill Comics, the Black Label, uh, specifically the new one, uh, Daphne Byrne. I forgot to read the new Dollhouse one. I got halfway through and I got distracted at work. Thought I'd finished it wrong. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 101. Uh, we're going to do the X-Men Five Minutes, Fallen Angels number five, New Mutants number five, Excalibur number five, maybe Immortal Hulk number 29, and but definitely Savage Avengers number nine. Uh, I want to hear – about the comics that are not on the list that you picked up, specifically your Daniel Close art book. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. This is a book that it took us a minute to figure it out because there wasn't a, a traditional copyright page or, co- uh, yeah, a copyright page or whatever right up front. But um, where did I get this now? I It was used. I got this at a half-price books. I don't know if anybody's familiar with this, but if you live in the Oklahoma City area, uh, Austin and Dallas in particular are places I know these exist. Half, Half Price, Price Book is a gold mine. Oh my goodness. Such an amazing – like I'm used to going to this union meeting and then going to Half Price Books, but uh, that's not what happened this time. Um, and Because uh, there's one in Dallas that's by where – oh man, and it is – it is an incredible bookstore. It's not Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon, and it's certainly not The Strand in New York. Those are some phenomenal bookstores. This That, that half-price books in Dallas that I go to, uh, um, oh, it's outside of downtown. It's damn fine. So, But this one I got at uh, the Oklahoma City branch up on May Avenue. Um <laughs> This is a Dan- – yeah, it's called The Art of Daniel Close, Modern Cartoonist. came out in 2012. We had to look that up. That took some some di- internet digging around. It's a big hardback. It's got a nice uh, dust jacket, um, full-page color, full-page black and white, full-page photographs, excerpts, like duplications mm-hmm. – if you know anything about Daniel Close, let's go into that. Uh, he is a caricature artist, and, uh, among other things. And m- it might be easiest to say uh, that some of his material has been made into movies that you might be aware of. The first one I could think of was Ghost World, starring Thora Birch and a very, very, very young Scarlett Johansson. Also Steve Buscemi. Steve, Steve Buscemi. Brad uh, Renfro. The- Brad Renfro, yeah, the, the God yeah, that was, soul. Yeah, we were talking about this yesterday. Dear Josh, we came by to fuck you, but you're not home, so you're gay. <laughs> <okay. laughs> that was a good moment. Thora Birch, I just did a movie with Thora Birch, and I never once pestered her about any of her stuff. At one point, I did say because uh, uh, we were t- I was talking to her about props and. I like I had to hand give her her handbag, which was uh, usually coming from the wardrobe department on this job. But uh, and so when we were talking about something, and I was, I was just like, "So this is this, and this is that, and you know how this works." And she was like, "Oh yeah, sure." And I was like, "Yeah, I've seen your early work, so I know." <laughs> and I was thinking, and she just laughed, and uh, it was um, because I was making reference of her working in uh, Tom Clancy movies as a kid actress. Anyway, um, things being what they are, so yeah, there's Ghost World, there's Art School Confidential, and Wilson, 
most recently, I believe, starring Woody Harrelson, uh, which are some of Daniel Close's content that was made into feature films. Um, my favorite book of his is David Boring. I absolutely oh, love that book. Hold on. Before we stray away from Thor Birch, if you guys don't know this, her parents are um, – let me pull this up. Carol Connors and Jack Birch, very famous oh. pornographic actors from the 70s. They, I did they, not know that. <clears throat> they were on set for all of her sex scenes. In what? Anyway. Like American Beauty? Uh, what's, American, what? American Beauty. I think there was one other one, but they were on set for those. And I, I read an interesting yeah. article. A while ago about that but anyway you're, you're right about um you're right about like i like the vein you're going in so far tell me tell me more about because you were talking about american splendor we're talking about harvey picar um the fact that movies like this exist it's just a fucking godsend yeah i mean what i mean this the yeah it's it's astonishing honestly uh i think that the amount of content that this that daniel close has that when i was in austin working a couple of years ago i i went to a that's how I spent my time. Like, okay, it's after hours. I'm tired. I'm going to go have a good dinner, and then I'm going to go find a half-priced books, and I'm looking for Daniel Close stuff. So I got that big uh, two-volume uh, sleeved book, but I got that at Austin's Best Comics because that's where they happen to have it. And I think it retails for about a hundred bucks um, if it's new. And uh, but damn, I mean, okay, so. Daniel Close got a lot of work going on a book he had called uh, uh, Eight Ball, and so and that was a Fantagraphics publication. So this this has a lot of his covers, a lot of his interiors. Um, this is from you know material from the '90s. I think this is, there's some unreleased work in here. Oh yeah, right here, David Boring. Like there's a cover from so a lot of his stuff. Your favorite. Yeah, a lot of his material uh, came as vignettes in the Eight Ball publication, and so then he would take, Arsenal Confidential, Ghost World. Yep, mm-hmm. he would take. Oh, uh, what is it? Pussy also, which is not actually a book about sex. Uh, it's a book about comics writers and artists trying to break into the industry and not be exploited. And the uh, protagonist's name happens to be Pussy. Um, mm-hmm. What is this? Ice Haven? There's some. The Death Ray. I, I think my That's first my exposure was probably one of the movies, probably Ghost World. And then when I started working at Speeding Bullet, I started at Comics in Norman. I started seeing eight ball books and whatever. And I remember eight ball, the story of the Death Ray coming out. And I picked it up and was fascinated by the artwork, the color washes, the inking, the 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 penciling I'll tell you this every time I have ever read a Daniel Close book I have felt like I have felt like a different person I have felt every like time every, every time, time every time it makes me want to just go sit in diners and smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and generate content it always makes me feel that's the beauty of what he does it's not that it's simplistic it's not that i look at it and i'm like anybody could do this it's that it activates my brain in a way that going to an art museum does 
Every time I've been to an art museum since I was in high school, I have stat, sat there and stared at these works of art and gone, and just in my head, I'm like, I need to do more. I need it's to part try of my- harder. And like Daniel Close books, when I have one of those in front of me, that's how I feel. I can do something. And it, sometimes it's these, this, the type of work that he does is uh, about people who are living on the fringes of what's normal. That's but not, sure. not, not extraordinary to the sense that oh, you no. would think that, that, that they're uh, other than the death ray in, in some sense, that, especially like Wilson, Wilson, uh-huh. like, and uh, just as before we get too far into Wilson, I remember going to uh, atomic pop with you was one of the first time you and I ever really hung out. And uh-huh. you were like in the, you were like oh, in that. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, you were like, okay, I can be friends with this guy. And uh, I was kind of intimidated, but I didn't want you to think I wasn't cool enough. But I was always in the dental <laughs> clothes. And it was the, it was the, it was the week. It, we went there on, it was the week that Wilson came out, but mm-hmm. it was also the, it was a Saturday afternoon that um, was a free comic book day. So we hit up a bunch of places to get some free comics. And we went, we, go, we went into uh, Atomic Pops second. And that's where we saw Wilson. And you're like, oh, shit, I needed to buy this. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was out there. And I'm like, well, shit, I, I don't want to look uncool. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to buy it anyway, but more like wait for the freaking hard uh, soft cover come out. And um, it, the, just in regards to if, if you don't understand what we're saying, imagine the, the crazy stories that like a friend of yours has that isn't really getting into trouble but accidentally stumbles into it the way Wilson does. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't kidnap his illegitimate daughter they just hung out for a bit and then he was accused of kidnapping her and then he goes to jail and uh it's it's one of those things that it it, i would hate to for people to classify this like if 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 daniel close was a a band he would be weezer (laughs) okay he would be weezer and maybe maybe sure (laughs) he would he would be weezer in terms of uh Pop culture, contemporary, you got to be a little bit on the fringe to understand. Uh, it's still real, though. And a guy who's in love with a lesbian who's got definitely wearing a sweater that you should rip apart. Uh, yeah, or, or, or <laughs> even just like the, the story of Art School Confidential. It's Art School Confidential was – I was in art school and I could tell you exact. I could name you exactly the name of the teacher who was Angelica Houston. Uh, the, oh, the, the yeah. friend, the, 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 the guy that keeps dropping out and coming back in the filmmaker guy, the guy that hasn't come out of the closet yet, the goth chick you should not have slept with. Who's reading her poetry after sleeping with her crying. Uh, that happens except without the serial killer. I definitely <laughs> like, know that girl without the serial that. killer. And man, I'm so glad you bought this book because this, this is such good discourse in yeah, regards to this is a great what it, comics are. What just just getting to look the you know just seeing the the material if I didn't already have all of the material because I think I have the complete Daniel Close catalog at this point outside of having every issue of Twentieth Century Eight Ball but um, I didn't know you had those no I'm not saying I do I'm saying I've got a handful of them I'm saying I've got like you know the the two volumes set that's like boom here is all of the major works. And then having nice. you know your your hardback your like your little copy of Ice Haven and Wilson and Daniel that's, David Boring and all of that stuff like that redefines what a coffee table book is like that's a like, I know that's this not has been sitting on my really through. terrible garage sale coffee table 
Um, if, if I went to your home right now and that was on your coffee table and we wanted to go out, we were about to go out and I saw that, I would have poured myself a drink and been like, have a good night. Dude, that's why <laughs> we know one another. Because you had that Dawn, that, that Linsner Dawn book right in your hands. It's like, yeah, no, hey, whatever we were doing, this is over. Lucifer You're reading Taylor. a Linsner yeah. book? Who the hell yeah. are you? Exactly, man. And, and like I know we've talked about it a million times before, but our readers haven't heard it. If I could have gone back in time and been like, okay, I know I'm going to be calling this night. He's going to be my best friend forever. Um, what book would you have in your hand to impress him? <laughs> That's, I would have uh, – yeah. Don, Don Luster's Halo, the original first print uh, graphic novel without the, the virgin cover. The virgin cover, which is really hard to find. Would have been like one of the three I would have picked. And you come in and, yeah, Colin's coming. He's going to be your best friend. Like, yeah, fuck this guy. And um, <laughs> I love this story. And you come in and is that what I think it is? And like, yeah. And then like you want a shot of whiskey and the next thing you know, like Haley and Jonathan are like hammering away at their like horse thing website. And it's like eight hours later and we've killed a handle of – Freaking Canadian mist, <laughs> a handle. So like twenty four shots each, pretty much. <laughs> and, uh, but 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 guys, um, these, these yeah, are the a type cool of book. things. That's what it gets down to. <laughs> it's not just cool, but like if, if this is the sort of thing that you're you're into, or or if you pick this up and or or you decide to watch Art School Confidential, it just happens to be on Netflix. I don't think it is right now, but if you decide to rent it on YouTube for like three bucks, do it. And then if you like this, then there's a there's a whole string of other things that you really should look into. Uh, you briefly mentioned it earlier, uh, American Splendor, Harvey Picard. Yeah. It's a little bit harder to read in terms of depressing quality. Uh, but also uh, – also Daniel Close is often confused with Terry Moore. Um, I'm surprised they've – Oh, that, OK. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm often surprised that Strangers in Paradise – that American Splendor was made, that even American Beauty was made, even though it's not a comic, or any Daniel Close book is made, and they haven't even attempted to do, or I'm sure they probably attempted, but it even like uh, a five episode thing on Showtime or even a YouTube thing of of um, Strangers in Paradise. That was my first. My very first that I bought on my own dollar comic book T-shirt, other than the X-Men shirts my mom bought me when I was a kid, was the "I Dream of You" all white shirt. When I was already super goth, was the all white "I Dream of You" cover. And I've got most of the books. One of my favorite finds I ever I ever stumbled upon was I was at Atomic Pop in Norman before it closed, and I was going through a recent bin they had. Of they sorted through that, you know, let's get rid of these graphic novels for $3 each. And I found the first six Strangers in Paradise books and I bought them for like three bucks each because they were mine now. I, I, like, man, I, like I actually was short for rent because I had to have those. But I went I went home and I opened one of them and inside um, Terry Mord signed it. Dude, to, like <laughs> to, to like yeah. some to dear dumbass that sold this didn't know it was signed or forgot you signed it or dumbass that left it at your girlfriend's apartment broke up with her and she sold it for a few bucks that's that's what i got and um guys it, it's it's real life it's real life and what do you got what do you got tell me 
Uh, so on a on an a, astonishingly similar note, somehow or another, because I don't know why, but the quirkiness of the of Daniel Close stories pairs very well with Wes Anderson. I think. absolutely. Freaking lootly, man! So, like the, the the way the scenes are shaped and framed. Oh God, keep going. Okay, so consequently, I don't know what I, I I know why I did. I okay. Several years ago, I was in New York City doing a movie. It was a Tim Blake Nelson movie, and uh, it's called Anesthesia. And um, my ex girlfriend, Tammy, I will make sure she knows what we're talking about this incident. I uh, was living in New York, so we got together and watched a bunch of movies and stuff like that. We went to see uh, uh, Dallas Buyers Club before it came out. Was that yeah, was that, that time when you were taking shots on a rooftop with Tim Blake Nelson? No, that was a different time. We didn't take shots. Uh, that was a different story, sort of. But oh, it I, is that time. I was just taking shots. I was just taking shots when you were telling me this. Sir. That's probably it. Uh, <laughs> so. Okay, one day I see that the Museum of the Motion, Motion Moving Arts, Museum of Moving Arts, MoMA, is going to show um, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, and I lose my mind because I never, like, I saw Rushmore, and I thought that what was a- quirky and fun, but then I didn't see a lot of the other ones. I didn't really like Royal Tenenbaums nearly as much. And then, I didn't like any of that, but but just just real quick, mm-hmm. I, I like how you said quirky. It's not quirky in the pop culture. We have to make Harley Quinn funny and cute, correct? Oh, yeah. It's not quirky yeah. in the Avengers. Oh, we, oh, we got to be quipping we, all the time. We have to differentiate from that. That's yeah. very important. Yeah, to if you guys haven't seen any Wes about. Anderson movies, definitely take a minute. You want to see something very different? My my seventy three, seventy four year old mom really enjoyed Grand Budapest Hotel, and I never would have thought. But there's so much heart in that movie. And um, anyway, so I go to see, I'm like, Life Aquatic, I never got to see it in theaters. I watched it on DVD, and I fell in love with it. And uh, so it was showing at the MoMA, and I was like, Tammy, let's go watch this together. And we did, and we get there, and the production designer and the DP were there, for interviewing, and the reason why they were showing it was because it was the release of this book, the Wes Anderson Collection book uh, by Matt Zoller Sites, and with an introduction by Michael Shaben. Um, and this, and you mentioned that I, I, so I, you know, even quirky or weirder situation in my life, I was asked to come help out somebody doing some stunt real work. I. Uh, Someone was like, hey, you're a black belt, and we did some stunt reel work a little while ago. Do you want to come and do some stuff and throw me down some stairs and throw me into some mats and fight with me? And I'm like, yeah, as long as we don't look like idiots. And then she was like, get over it, dork. Let's go. So I showed up the morning, the other morning. We went and we did this, and then when I left, I saw this bookstore. I go into this bookstore. This book is right there. I did not buy it. When I was in New York at that event where it could have got signed because I knew I was just breaking even on that job. However, this <laughs> here it was, and it was a lot less uh, – no, I'm not going to qualify it as expensive. And I open it up, and it's signed by 
by the author. For Jesse, I used to steal chickens, but now I'm a newspaper man. F M F Matt Zolier cites. <laughs> Just like, okay, I don't know what that's all about off the top of my head. It's probably a quote from one of the movies that I it's probably from Bottle Rocket. I don't really know. But um Dude, I'm so happy to have this book. I just, I love seeing the production design and the art direction, the two-dimensional graphics in all of these movies. God, I mean, like, everything just is right up my alley as a person who works in the art department on feature films, in commercials, and on television. And, uh, oh my God. I, there's something I got to tell you off the air about an upcoming project uh, coming to Oklahoma. Um, I'll save that for later. Don't let me forget. But uh, now, speaking of production design, uh, so yeah. Now, anyway, pick that back uh, up. My, m- minefielders, minefielders. Uh, you guys are devoted listeners, and we really appreciate you. Just give us some more emails. Um, we're going to talk about some comics in a second. And <laughs> no, we're not. No, no, because no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm go not ahead, being. Ahead, uh, I'm not being sarcastic here. I want you to think about how Colin and I just went off on like a 20 minute tangent over a book that we only thought we were going to talk about for five minutes. Happens every time we we podcast. Uh, correct, but we're going to talk about some comics that were decent, and we're only going to be able to get like five minutes out of them. Regardless if the story is done or if it's a series, uh, a mini series, like we're going to talk about Kylo Ren in a minute. Um, <laughs> think about done. Yeah, th- think about how passionate we are about something that Daniel Close, Harvey Picard, uh, Moore would do that, or Wes Anderson, and I still say Weezer should soundtrack all of them. Um, how we could get that passionate about something about real life, something that regular people like you and I would go through and why, despite how amazing the artwork is in some of these books, I mean, the, the, the Kylo Ren is like, the artwork is very detailed. We're going to talk about turtles. It's pretty great. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's great. But the fact that we can only talk about it for five, 10 minutes, I want you to, <laughs> I, I want you to think about that in regards to how we were easily able to talk about with a million different references off the top of her head, knowing them as facts without having to look them up, that that we're that passionate about, it. and that's something that's got more substance than whether or not Kylo Ren was a true member of the Knights of Ren, or whether or not Splinter's going to live or come back to life. Uh, please think about that because it's different when you you really got to be able to differentiate between what you consider as literature and something that you would clutch to your heart. Uh, worried, you know, that this person is going to be mean to you when you meet them at a comic con to sign your your or your treasured book, as yeah. opposed to showing up and having, um, you know, them sign your one out of a million variant cover Kylo Ren book. Not that Kylo Ren sucks. Uh, I've got my own opinions about that, but but I think you get I can't the, believe the point. My opinions about Kylo Ren now, as opposed to for the last two movies. Yeah. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Let's do Kylo Ren. Let's do Kylo Ren. Let's do Kylo Ren. Okay. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. Kylo Ren. Yeah. Star Wars Rise of Kylo Ren. Chapter two. Charles Sewell. Is it Sewell? Soleil. Soleil. Oh, nice. Soleil. Will uh, Will Sliney is the artist. 
Slinny? God, I hope I'm not killing that. Uh, Guru EFX is the colorist, and VC's Travis Lanham is the letterer. Um, <clears throat> let's see. He, he's the third out of VC, isn't he? Clayton Cowles so and Clayton uh, Cowles, Joe, Joe Caramagna. I think there's yeah. a fourth guy, maybe. Um, I did not like the first issue. I so so many times in reading Star Wars comics, you just it's like a little rushed. It, they're a little rushed, and it's like it's a little forced, and it's a little and it's not a pun, uh, and it's it's a little bit. Um, Hey, I want my I want to do my own spin on something out of Star Wars. Like I really hate all of the old early or old all the old nineties, early two thousands, Tales of the Jedi books and stuff like that. Just none of that stuff does anything for me. Like I don't need hey, to know every little the novellas that really did it. That's the bitch I have about Star Wars, where it's like we got to know about the frogs in Jabba's tank, like their characters or something, or we got to know something about the ice cream guy, the guy that's running through Bespin with the ice cream maker. Like that guy's got a whole backstory. I, Can you blame him though? I mean like the, the, the amount of like side character action figures that came out in the early eighties was kind of ridiculous. But so I, I can't really blame these guys for trying to put a backstory to these guys. My but. beef is that there are no background performers in Star Wars. There's just whatever. Like, Kylo Ren is a guy that we need content. We need to know how this happens. And I, I'm actually ultra-pleased, having seen the most recent Star Wars movie, that we don't know anything. Like, nothing... About the, about the- I, I, I had a whole thing with a buddy of mine, Damon... Uh, where he was telling me some stuff he was irritated with about the new movie. Not to say he didn't like it, but, you know, oh, man, it's kind of an incestuous kiss and whatever else and blah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, nobody is nobody knows that unless you're a, you have to be like a level seven Star Wars dork to even know. And then you've got to be a level 10 Star Wars dork to even care. Like. If it's not on the screen, it's it, that's the old adage I've got. If it ain't on the stage, or if it ain't on the page, it's not on the stage. Well, if it's not in the movie, then it's not actually canon. I don't care what anybody says. It's a video game, whatever. This is a comic book. This is not going to be the last time somebody gets the opportunity to write something about Kylo Ren's origin. And I hope that it isn't, because it's It's fine. But I didn't like the first issue. That was the launch-off point. The second issue, I really like it. And I didn't think that I would. I just thought I I was on a whim decided to read this. And I was pleasantly surprised. Not because I got to see a younger Jedi Master Luke Skywalker doing anything, which, pray God, that's what I hoped all of these three movies were going to involve. And we got nothing. We got nothing. And so I, I was uh, the, the the main night that that is talking to Kylo at the beginning in the middle when he encounters uh, Luke in the uh-huh. forgotten Jedi temple with all the relics. He's got that weird scar on his mask. He's not in the movie. Right. I'm wondering if the bro like if 
because obviously they because it's Disney and Marvel's Disney. Uh, if they took the idea of that that weird scar on the face of the the main knight of Ren, and use that idea to take the Kintsugi idea of of rebuilding Ren's mask, mm-hmm. you know you know the, the the Japanese art of fixing broken things with gold to make it more beautiful. If that was a call to, to that particular character, especially since he's the one that that communicates to to Kylo, like because uh, for guys uh, like there's not yeah. too much to talk about, and we've already talked about. Uh, we're talking that Skywalker looking for this. Um, Luke is looking for this lost temple. They find it. There's artifacts in there. Knights of Ren are already there. There's a scuffle. Um, a kerfluffle. I mean, like <laughs> Luke just messes these guys up. The main knight of Ren, he's got like kind of a scar, broken, broken bit of his face in the in, in his mask. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if the 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 reassembly of Kylo Ren's mask was a, a reference to that, and also uh, Kintsugi. No, um, the again Japanese art. No, no. No, I think you're right about the possibility no. of Kintsugi. That's fascinating. And now I've got. Now I think of it. I've I've got to go buy gold and start smelting it and fixing some stuff. But um, <coughs> no, because this is not what that's based on. Like the idea of Kintsugi right. makes I'm, sense I'm, to me, but I'm looking at the content. I'm going through the going, photos. Sorry. No, no. Tell me about the content because I can tell you about the masks. Oh well, I'm saying like. As much as I appreciate what that where this issue actually went, getting getting Ben Solo into the hands of Snoke, and Snoke is surprisingly not what you would expect. He's got you know he lives in this garden paradise, and he's seems to be this like happy, smiling, albeit deformed, terrifying alien slash human creature. I have no idea with some kind of hair. And a wacky, maybe fedora sort of motorcycle hat. I don't know what the hell he's wearing. Um, <laughs> some of that's like the concept character His design Brooklyn is a little weird had. for him. But um, that's the way it goes with Sith Lords. They they lure you in by, by looking innocuous. Um, so I, I'm feeling like, you know, one way or the other... Seeing a young Ben is not the same thing as watching young Anakin in the Clone Wars. And I just like the development of the character. I, I, I didn't like the first issue. I like this issue because it is propelling things in a direction that makes it feel like it's better than what it was. And it gives you the opportunity to see what it all can be. So now I'm compelled to stick with it. But uh, what are you going to? What, what do you have to say about these masks? Okay, so I'm looking at a photo of the Knights of Ren lined up from the movie oh, really? with Kylo in front, and I'm looking at a uh, still from the comic because there's a solid. First, you really kind of see five, but now I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six. All of them are accounted for except the leader with the scar on the mask. All of them are accounted for uh, with the scar and the mask in Rise of Skywalker. Well, yeah, clearly that guy's going to die because obviously Kylo's going to have to kill him and take his place. I just feel like that's the only thing that makes any sense. 
it kind of makes sense in the way that um, they're they're younglings that should have been Jedi but were not trained, and they're like imagine like uh, the Runaways if they were if they were Jedi or or, or No Way Home I if they were so Jedi. Glad you brought them up, mm-hmm. uh, and if if no one was there to temper them and to teach them you know to stray from anger or control your anger and your hate and your your fear imagine if they young jedi that were you know vagabond you know orphans that went through god knows what which is what all those the runaways and the and the the characters in way x went through if yeah they're going to eventually stray to straight to the dark side and when they like listen like yeah you just kind of kind of beat us up but you really need to be scared of that kid behind you because well you know what hey kid you want to join us why don't you come with us right now but if you don't here's my helmet (laughs) here's my helmet get get a hold of us later and uh, i i loved that in the comic how um god we thought we were going to talk about for five minutes (laughs) (laughs) that um that uh you know, he gives him the helmet or, or he in some way becomes the owner of the helmet. We haven't seen it quite yet um, that he puts it on like, hey, kid, waiting for your call. We're here. Get here. Just, you know, come have some shots. We're going to go jump on our Harleys and go cause some trouble. Um, I don't know, like Lobo or something like fun like that. I, I don't even like there's so many different parallels I can pull to it. I love that part. And you're absolutely correct. The, the first one was kind of dry, like, oh, I'm Kylo Ren. I just destroyed Luke Skywalker's temple. And, oh, man, I can't believe Ky- that, ben, that Ben did that. We got to go stop him. I'm like, oh, man. The, like, the only I don't part care. about that book that I really liked was the moment when uh, uh, the Jedi were all trying to figure out, you know, hey, we, we're in the spaceship and we got to figure out where he's going and how we do it. And, oh, how are we going to do that? And then one of the Jedi is like, you guys, just because we're Jedi doesn't mean we're not tech-savvy, okay? You yeah. know, like, just do the thing and look for space eddies or whatever, and we'll fly that direction. It's not a problem. It's obvious navigation. Like, anybody can do this. You don't have to be a Jedi to do it. And I was like, thank you, thank you. That's awesome. That's cool. It's like in Doctor Strange, you know, Carl uh, uh, Mordo hands him the slip of paper, and it says Shambhala, and he's like, What's this, my mantra or something? He's like, it's the Wi-Fi password. We're not savages. <laughs> I love that. That was, that was delightful. Delightful. Yeah, apparently. Okay, so let me go back one one step because you, you mentioned that photo of Kylo standing in front of the, the knights. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? There's got to be a bunch of production stills or uh, no. something. So I'm going in <laughs> and looking at it and I'm seeing a, a headline. And so I'll quote where this comes from. Uh, December 1st of all time things. Um, FlickeringMyth.com had an article from December 1st by Gary Collison. Unfortunately, zero comments. Um, after a briefly introducing the characters in Star Wars The Force Awakens, director J.J. Abrams is set to bring back the Knights of Ren in this month's closing chapter of the Star Wars or the Skywalker saga. Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. What the hell? I don't even remember that. Were they in the first movie, episode se- uh, episode seven? Only in a flashback uh, in the rain when you see um, Ray being taken back in 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 the hodgepodge of memories of uh, like whether or not she had anything to do with Kylo in the first place. Oh, uh, all right. Like it's it's in the rain that you see them, and that's it. 
And, um, man, you know what? Um, at first I was kind of mourning, like, man, I wanted to see more nice Ren build that up. Uh, Mandalorian is proved we don't need that. We can do it in we can do it on Disney Plus. Give us give us a kick ass Indiana Jones style mercenary uh, eight episode. Even if it's just eight eight episodes or even four uh, of the Knights of Ren. Give us an hour of four. Hey, yeah, I mean four episodes of the Knights of Ren, if, whether Kylo's in it or not. If anything can be proven to be quality, Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. Was a great show, a really, oh, hell yeah. really good show, and the, the fact that they like having they the, included, all, sorry, all the sorry. Inquisitors. Oh my god! Like, go back and read some of the Darth Vader comics with the the uh, like that major, the main Inquisitor in it and everything. It's like all of those characters are fascinating. Like, I just whatever. Yeah, the idea that the Emperor has Sith lords running around doing stuff, and they're not Sith lords; they're like Sith. Ensigns or something. They're, you know, like you, you think you're badass and you're definitely better than the average stormtrooper or Death Star trooper, but you are, uh, you're nothing, nothing compared to Darth Vader. You're nothing compared to me, that kind of stuff. But you're still powerful in some degree. You know, go out and find the little guys with delusions of grandeur, beat them up. I, I completely agree. And man, I'm like just thinking about a Knights of Ren miniseries, just. I'd take it. I'll check that out. I'll check that out. It's just... In the formula... Oh, man. In the formula of Star Wars, or in any kind of, like, film action franchise, Darkman or, I don't know, uh, Desperado slash El Mariachi, something like that, the idea that you would have to fight through the Knights of Ren to get to the major boss or something like that. It's, it's formula. It's a trope. I would have taken this. Well, shit, take man. A Disney Plus TV series built out of that. It's astonishing to me that Kylo had to fight his own guys. And at that moment, I was like, uh, I wish that we knew more about these guys. I wish that we knew... I, I wish that we saw the some pain on his face, like that I have to kill these dudes, but or whatever. Things being what they were, I don't know, man. Oh God, I just I. Adam I Driver I was so good. I just oh, Adam Driver's good in everything. Agonizingly um, good in that movie, and uh, even in SNL, like even in SNL when he's not playing Kylo Ren, uh, he's just gut <laughs> that punch, was good, gut punchingly funny. Um, uh, him crushing his enemies as the old air, uh, oil baron, <laughs> like. Uh, Bringing the the dead crow in the in the class as the old <laughs> like Ebenezer the crush the oil game is not about oil it's about crushing your enemies totally true <laughs> like, it just it gets better and better but I got to do one better rather than talking about uh, a Disney Plus thing that we can fantasize about uh, if <laughs> you guys if if you guys if in in the uh, Star Wars realm that can make things better or give us something we can really um, uh, non, give us a Knights of Ren video game. Oh, dude, and, yeah. And give us give us a Knights of Ren video game, fully immersive, great music. Uh, don't piss us off with all this like, oh, you bought the game for $70 because you're excited about it, but if you really want to finish the game, you got to pay $50 to get all the DLCs. Uh, no, fuck you. Don't do that to us. Give us the damn game. We bought it. 
give us the whole let, damn thing. Let me ask you this. The next time you go to a con, are there going to be Knights of Ren guys walking around? I sure as hell hope so, man, because these masks are great. The, 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 the texture of the costumes. I mean, like that's one thing that like most people don't realize the difference between like crappy nineties superhero movies and good ones. Now is there's just texture to their costumes. I know it's really <laughs> frustrating to me to see all of these dudes walking around in stormtrooper costumes. And they're like, I've got a special red circle painted here and like a, a ring around my forearm or something painted. And that means that I'm part of this unit or whatever. And I'm like, Dude, no, that's ridiculous. Like, we had three movies with Stormtroopers that were black and white. Like, there was nothing going on. The Clone Trooper thing, that's a different thing. I don't care. Like, your 501st Legion or whatever, not to diss anybody. It's just like, stick to what's there. It's the source material. Like, sometimes I look at this fandom and, and I'm like, you're just making shit up, guys. You know, you're just making shit up. This isn't based on anything. This is just whatever. But hey, that's the key. Because if I know one thing from when I worked for Star Trek, I definitely know something about fandom and that it should be for everyone. Just don't ask me to take everything seriously. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, like when I watched like uh, like the Triumph the Uncomic Dog when he went to the uh, – uh, I, th- I think it was Attack of the Clones and uh, th- like a, a couple got married and I was like, wow, uh, I feel really bad for both of you. Like that's oh – you're getting married You're getting married in the streets of, of New York. That, that's that's pathetic. There's, that's there, pathetic. There's got to be a podcast in the future where we talk about the most embarrassing fandom stories <laughs> – that we've ever witnessed, and it's definitely well, going to be terrible. <laughs> but keep in the back, keep, keep in the back of your mind. Keep in the yeah. back of your mind. Let's do the uh, let's do the X Men five minutes. X Men <laughs> five minutes because we clearly can't do one. D- All right, go. Don't, don't don't start me off yet. So we're oh, talking you want about me to time X-Force. you? I'll do it. Don't 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 start timing in. I'll do the credits first. X Force number five, uh, written by Benjamin Percy, artist Joshua Casara. Uh, color artist Dean White and Rochelle Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. VCs Joe Caramanga as letterer, uh, designed by Tom Muller. Also, we're talking about Fallen Angels number five, written by Brian Hill. Mm-hmm. Artist uh, is Simon Kradonsky, uh, or Z- Simon. Uh, I'm not sure. I've never met the gentleman. Uh, <laughs> Frank, as the artist, uh, guys did great episode issues of Spawn. Uh, Frank Diamarta. Uh, Color artist, VCs Joe Sabino. So I think that's the number four we're talking about for letter. Tom Muller, design. New Mutants, number five. Jonathan Hickman, writer. Uh, that's all, that's kind of interesting to me. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Todd Rice, artist, VCs Travis Lenham. So, yeah, is that the fourth? We, we mentioned him earlier, right? That was pretty good. Uh, Tom Muller, designer. He might have been the fifth. Uh, you know, <clears throat> great. Great for you guys. Uh, Todd Rice, Cover artist. Okay, New Mutants number five. Wait, Finally, when do I start back. The timer. Do it. Okay, here we go. The X Men minute. The X Men five, five minutes. minutes. Here we go. Yeah. Ready, ready, go. Yeah. New Mutants finally back to the Shi'ar. We're talking about we're escorting Deathbird back to the Shi'ar. We've got some uh, renegade uh, Shi'ar that are trying to kill her. Best part about it is Sunspot hitting on Deathbird. He's got the balls. <laughs> Why not go talk to her? 
uh, there's some renegade pirates there to kill him because uh, like she's threatening the throne, uh, just returning in general. X-Force, we're talking about, and you're going to love this, Forge showing up to uh, save the day. Uh, when uh, Kid Omega and Wolverine jump through the portal and they, uh, the humans cut it off, cut, hu- cut Wolverine and Kid Omega in half, uh, they're there what? to save them. Even though, yeah, they're, they're that, yeah, the other half is in there. Forge grabs the other half of Wolverine in his like cybernetic techno-organic uh, machine with full of guns and whatever, saves the day, grabs Wolverine, both halves, shoves them together like we've always wanted to see. <laughs> And uh, I thought he was dead. I thought he was dead. Nope, 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 nope. Wolverine's still alive. <laughs> uh, that that that's what happened. And man, I'm getting all excited. I'm trying to like get back on track here. New Mutants uh, X Force. <laughs> they're they're getting back on track. Excalibur. Um, okay, so um, we're talking about Captain Britain trying to save the day. She's arguing with Britain's uh, supernatural elite and human elite, and she's like, no, screw you guys. I've got a job to do. Oh, but uh, you did have a job to do, but really this wasn't really a trap. We were just distracting you because uh, the fact that Shogo turned into a dragon uh, broke a rift, and Apocalypse is trying to revive Rogue, and the whole time while Gambit is in the other world trying to get these magical crystals that Apocalypse demanded he needed in order to save Rogue. When they come back, all the power is depleted. He's pissed off. Rogue is resurrected, and the first thing she does when she is brought out of this um, coma Three when, she's been, when she's been att- attached to Jean and as many psychics as they can, and she finds a, a tiger – Bringing her out, and she finds it interesting. Uh, there's, there's something we'll talk about that next, next issue that leads her out of the coma. She sees this battle going on with uh, Cthulhu-type uh, monsters attacking Britain, and the first thing she sees is Apocalypse. Starts beating the shit out of him, and he, she grabs him, and he's like, "Yeah, Clan Cab is doing what I'm, what they're supposed to do." And she's like, "I don't know what that means, uh, but I'm going to kill you." And he's like, "Great, that's what I wanted." Drains everything out of him the way the way she did out of Carol Danvers. Apocalypse is dead. Gambit's there. Happy she's there, but she's now blue and has that you know curved smile. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's Ooh. where we are. Really? Where am I at? Yeah, that's where we are. Where am I at? Two minutes and fifty five seconds. Way to go. Perfect. Way to go. Perfect. Way to was, beat was a- that. It was exciting. It was a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately, you could read them each one like oh, I want to say maybe six minutes if you're really into it. A lot of battles. Um, just glad we got to see some Shi'ar. If I can pronounce that, Shi'ar, Shi'ar. Yeah, I think Shi'ar. Shi'ar. Um, man, I think that's what I got for that. Killer. What you got next? <clears throat> what have I got next? Let's see. Let me fill. Up. What 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 feels X Meny? Nothing really. Oh, you know what? Yeah, this feels very X Meny. Uh, the new Marvels by Alex Ross, um, because what that amounts to is that everyone in the story is more or less a mutant, minus the protagonist. So let's see here. We've got a Jim. Cr- I'm sorry, an Alex Ross and Jim Kruger story. The script by Jim Kruger. Artist is Well B. That's W-E-L-L hyphen B-E-E. Uh, VC's Corey Petit. And, uh, number six. Uh, no, yeah, no, there number you five. go. Number five. That's correct. That's and the then fifth. a variety of different variant cover artists if you're into that kind of thing. Um, 
What is there to say about this issue of this book? This is the book that you're seeing in your comic shops right now. It's a Marvel's logo with a giant X on it, and there's a guy in a green goblin mask on the cover. Feels feels like a, when I first saw that, I, I felt like it was a cash grab. I felt like I was being manipulated. Oh, it's not. It makes so much sense when you read about it. Um, the sad fact of this is how sad this story is. Like, literally, this is a very uncomfortable story. Um, and it's it may be Alex Ross, but it's not painted in the way that the original Marvel's book was. So, nevertheless, the art is interesting and moody and um, appropriate. It totally works, but uh, it's it doesn't have that, like, holy crap richness of the original Marvel's work, or Kingdom Come, for that matter, uh, which is a DC property, for those of you who might not know that. Uh, what this is, is that there's... A little boy who is not a white kid. Uh, I don't know what to say. He's black. There you go. He's a black kid from a black family. And they live somewhere outside of New York. And uh, this kid is all too fascinated by superheroes that are running around in New York City. And now, you know, I'm looking at it. And I'm realizing something for the first time. Everybody in his family is watching TV. They're getting a news report about uh, a scabbing, like everybody in the world has started developing these scabs on their body. And this is some kind of a cocoon, basically. Once these scabs take over your body, it grows beyond the dimensions of your person and forms a cocoon. And when you what come... year, what year is this happening, by the way? It really doesn't say. Is Is this after... Uh, I have the camera. Um, no, in my in my consideration, this is a preface to Earth X. Oh no, shit! Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. wonderful. So, uh, please continue. Yeah, so this family is watching a news report about this thing happening to people all over the world, and it is being blamed on mutants. Uh, I don't want to. Ju- I don't want to read this outright to anybody because I don't know if that's a content issue. But um, basically, you've got a newscaster who's saying that these people are emerging from cocoons, and they even believe that it's a mutant virus that's happening to them. And uh, the kid, autom- his kid's name is David, automatically is like, "Oh my god, we're going to get superpowers." And he's super happy about it, but uh, it flashes forward a while later, and he is unpowered, and the scabbing or cocooning has not happened to him, but it's happened to everybody else in his family. And his mom and dad have been killed on a food run uh, somewhere Where are they, New York? They're outside of New York, because later in the story, he leaves, the, he leaves his home to go to New York because he believes in the heroes and he thinks that the heroes can help him and save him and help the world and save the world. He has been leaving his house wearing a yellow hoodie and riding his bike uh, to the supermarket wearing a green goblin mask. 
And that's what we see on the cover. Um, and he has to avoid everybody. He wears the green goblin mask because he's trying to look as scary as possible so that people will leave him alone. The thing is, the people are... It's like a zombie apocalypse, except it's that everybody out in the world has superpowers now. Some of them... And they're all different. Think of the mutants. Think of the inhumans. All different. Like... You've but, got a, but still lumped, still lumped together, though. Well, to a degree. I in, ter- mean, in, in terms of in terms of threat. No, the threats are vastly different from one another. Um, imagine the world outside your window, which was the Marvel, you know, concept for decades. Uh, there's a expanded shot. There's like a big, what I would call it in a film, uh, like a wide wide shot. Of, uh, here's a person with bug wings flying around. Here's a person with one gigantic hand. Here's a guy that's like clearly just landing in the middle of some grass. And not only is his skin not a regular human skin color, but he's clearly just landing and shattering the earth. And then here's a guy who's clearly summoning something. And here's a gigantic person who's kicking a building and it's exploding and... Then there's all these other people who are people-sized, but they clearly have some kind of powers. You know, I don't see any ray beams or whatever, but it's an apocalypse out this guy's, out this poor kid's house. And yeah, it's terrifying. It's like, if you go back and look, there was like an Ultimates comics where, uh, I think it was Ultimate Fantastic Four, where the only person in the world, it was the King Thor storyline or President Thor storyline. It was a two-issue Ultimate Fantastic Four book where Thing, Ben Grimm, was the only person in the world that didn't have superpowers. So this borrows heavily from that idea. So David, the only kid in the world who, well, every kid wants superpowers, but this person who wants superpowers more than anyone else has to go out disguised as the Green Goblin to get groceries in an ultimately dangerous apocalypse that's happening outside. And when he gets home, you know, he has all the rules are broken. Don't, don't make any noise. Be quiet. Don't let anybody that's making noise outside of the house think that you're in here because they're going to come in and get what you've got, which is ridiculous. Like, yeah, you've got superpowers. You're going to break into somebody's house because you still need to eat. Even if you're the cobalt man. Even if you're the Absorbing Man, even if you're Firestar, even if you're Iceman, even if you're whatever, you still got to eat. And, like, everybody's got superpowers. Nobody can do what's normal running the factory, like reporting to work, keeping the water clean so that everybody has potable water, you know, obviously. It's an apocalypse of superpowers. And it's... It How is. Did- Huh? How did the dialogue flow? How did the dialogue flow? I mean, is it Perfect, one of those type crisp, things? excellent? I, I mean, A plus dialogue through the whole thing. The like, only issue I have with it is I can't tell how old David, the protagonist, really is or how much he really knows. It is the unfortunate aspect that I feel like I'm reading a kid as portrayed by an adult who doesn't really know how kids think and flow anymore. Because this kid looks like a 10 or 12-year-old. 
but he acts like he's an eight-year-old or something like that. Or he acts like I did when I was 10 or 12, playing with action figures and being stupid, like not being as old as I should have been, you know? I'm not saying that kids well, are stupid. I'm because well, God, I mean, my kid's no, amazing, no, but like, no, no, I know, I get what you're saying. It's, it's the difference between a kid and your, your parents. Are like, oh man, dinner's gonna be the bomb tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm and and you're like, uh, no one really says that the way that I hear like when I hear that words like on fleek or fire or actual vernacular for children today. What I, you're I, telling I, me that, is totally lit. It's so lit. It's it's on fleek. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what that crap means. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, and I don't care to learn. Uh, I, I always think about David Duchovny and Californication. She says, "LOL," and he's like, mm, "That's part of your vernacular." <laughs> like, uh, or, or Brooklyn Nine Nine when they say "BRB," he's like, "What's that mean?" It means "Be right back." It's literally the same amount of syllables. Uh, and, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, now, 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 my question is to really – obviously, I'm, I'm going to get it uh, because you recommend it. But for our readers and our listeners, if they're reading it, can they imagine themselves as one of these misfit mutants hanging out with this person no. at, the, at the same time? Absolutely, emphatically no. You're looking at a kid who wishes he had superpowers – but his dream comes true, and A, not only does he not get superpowers, but if he had superpowers, he'd have to go get himself killed fighting all of these other people who suddenly have superpowers and don't know how to deal with them. My, the th- one of the lines, without spoiling anything, that I really appreciate from this Dracula TV series is when one of the characters is talking about vampires and saying... Well, this Count Dracula is a vampire, and he's very good at it. Most of the vampires in the world don't last very long because they have a bloodlust they can't control or they don't have the mental capacity to figure out how to hide their identity before someone kills them. Or I'm paraphrasing. It was just a very, you know, it's, a, it's an amorphous concept out of one little line of dialogue that I'm Totally not doing correctly. No, no, no. It, it's like an imagine. it's like an X Files. It's like an X Files bad blood. Some of us vampires uh, don't really know the idea of uh, low profile. Yeah, precisely. When you've got a city that's burning, and because a dude is like landing and causing an earthquake, and like a giant is kicking over a building, and somebody's shooting ray beams out of their eyes because they're suddenly cyclops or something. I mean. You see the pandemonium of an uncontrolled mutant world in the X-Men constantly until Professor X shows up and says, Hey, let me train you how to use this. I'm not trying to control you. I'm not trying to take anything from you. I want you to be who you are in a safe environment. That's the reality that need that you being portrayed, but if sudden a world where suddenly, Hey, I've got a superpower and I can fly or my superpower is that my fingernails grow or my superpower is that I'm suddenly a speedster. How long is it going to take before you accidentally slip on an oil slick and slam yourself into a building? My favorite, I love the stand Stephen King's the stand and it talks about a plague, right? A plague that kills 97% of the populace, 
or more, right. or less, depending on which version you're reading. But then it talks about a second uh, apocalypse of people who didn't get sick, who died because basic human services weren't there for them. A little girl who doesn't suddenly have her family, so she doesn't know how to eat, and then she accidentally falls off her bike and like breaks her leg and gets sepsis or something and bleeds out and dies. You know, like that kind of shit is going to happen in an apocalypse. You know? The, the secondary thing. Yeah, because the power goes out for six months. How many people are going to die in that? Because the Hurricane Katrina comes through and people bunkered in instead of leaving like they were supposed to and what this this book is uncomfortable to read like marvel zombies to me is uncomfortable to read because seeing these characters that you love and admire who are reduced to all we are is hungry and spider-man going home and clearly having eaten his aunt and mary jane that's not comfortable. But this gives you enough of a concept and enough of a hope to wonder what's going to happen next. And you damn know I'm going to buy it. I'm going to get that next one and see. Because this is, it's compelling. It's just sad. That's all I'm getting at. But was it, was it, did it have a redeemable factor where there was oh, totally. a, a possibility? A possibility of of a, of a good outcome despite the the insurmountable odds, or is it like yes? Okay, because in the end, the boy has gone to get food for his family, but his family has died or flown away or turned into light or something, and yet he encounters a trucker who maybe has superpowers or maybe doesn't. And uh, the trucker picks him up and says, I need to go into New... He says, you know, hey, I need to go into New York City. I want to go see the heroes. And uh, the trucker has things to say. And whether this guy has powers or not, he's still acting like, well, I, I could probably save the world with my wacky power, but I'm still who I am at my core, and that's being a trucker. I got to get food to people, you know? That's no, what I, I love that. Do. I, 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 I love that. That's that's the redeeming quality, and it's and so for that reason, it's alone outside of any other awesome stuff that's going on here. It's worth your like, you know, four bucks for sure. Did it have a really cool cover, like an acetate cover at all? No, uh, the, no, I didn't see that. No, dude, that. That kind of put me on edge just thinking about that. Those are those are my favorite stories. Oh, um, yeah, it, it, especially like uh, I, I got to I got the pleasure of uh, getting to show the Joker to my mom yesterday, mm-hmm. and when he blew Robert De Niro's brains out, she started laughing, oh, laughing and, and and clapping, and not because she likes mindless violence, but but she was so immersed. And watching the deconstruction of this man and the, the the stick of dynamite De Niro was lighting, making fun of him, his hero. It's exactly what I imagined it. And he wasn't being creepy or, or weird. I mean, like, uh, his laugh was definitely uh, unnerving uh, to my mother, but she didn't 
she didn't applaud De Niro's death because she's a uh, an anar- anarchist. Uh, she understood everything got pulled out from under this man, and there was irredeemable factors here. There was no going back. And yeah, those stories can somehow take people to a place that, in some way, make them feel better that they're not lo- you know alone. Mm-hmm. But I'm so happy that you you would end that story with the fact that yeah, there's redeemable factors or there's hope. Oh, you asked, dude. I mean, I think I probably would have got to it, but I appreciate the way you asked about it and steered it that direction. So, you know, thank you for that. <laughs> dude, uh, dude, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what we do here at the minefields. We we walk through minefields and like it like we like we said earlier, if we you're not walking away feeling like we had some collegiate level discourse, then what the hell are we doing here? Oh, dude, freaking new X-Men was so cool. It was so <laughs> and then Somebody says, yeah, none of that fucking matters. All that stuff, all that money you spent, none of that matters because what matters is what we're going to put on the screen now and it's all the Disney shit. It's like, hey, this is what we want to put up there. That's what pisses me off about J.J. Abrams. And I'm glad it's still recording this because I know that, I mean, we're still recording. I'm just waiting for my computer, which is fine. But it's the same thing I always say. It's just J.J. Abrams playing with other people's toys. It's not his own creative content. He could have done all of these stories in his own universe. Kylo Ren could easily be a Firefly character. Like, any of that. The Knights of Ren. All of it. Max von Sydow in the first movie. Poe Dameron. Finn. Any of these characters could have been characters in another universe entirely, and it would have been like, oh my god, look at how clever and interesting this is. But that's my beef. Anyway, let me pull up Skype and we'll get back to it. Cool. One hour, 54. Let's see if we can get going by 45. What's up? Hey, look at that. We're back at uh, an hour, 54, and 50 seconds. I'm going to do a clap so you can see it. Okay. And I'm going to do it at 55 in 3, 2, 1. Cool. What was I saying before? (laughs) I totally don't remember. Uh, I'm having technical issues, everybody, because my computer has to be plugged in at all times to be able to function, and I clearly just kicked a cable. So we had a technical thing, and um, so we took a minute and got it all sorted out. Anyway. Yeah, well, well, moving on. Uh, yeah, we want to move on to some more, some more mutants. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 101. Guys, I keep saying it since we started. If you're not reading this book... Uh, you're you're messing up bad, but, but that's okay. Uh, go get the go get some omnibuses or some fifty page uh, graphic novels of this. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you don't have an original issue. What matters is the content. Um, this is something that is borrowing from the TMNT movie that came out in two thousand seven, the um, uh, computer animated one. It, it's it's Master Splinter's dead. Shredder's alive. The complete opposite of what happened in issue 50. Even though 
it was the complete opposite. It was dramatic. It was poignant. It was powerful. It was something that really put you on the edge and make you happy that you're still a turtle fan or just became a turtle fan or, or even more importantly, didn't realize that you figure out how much you love the turtles. And, um, I was having a discussion with a buddy of mine today and I, I know I've brought it up before, but we we've got a lot more listeners now. Uh, I asked him today, um, did you realize what the first turtles movie was? And he's like, what do you mean? Like, it was just great. And he's like, and my friend Joe was like, it was just, I just watched it the other day. It was, I can't, I can't remember. I couldn't believe how great it was. It was still, just still held up. Did you remember every word? And she's like, Oh <laughs> hell yeah. And I was like, and she had to go back into work and, uh, talking to Josh and, this long-haired dude that looks like uh, Richard Ramirez. <laughs> he looks just like Ramirez. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I was like, let me ask you something. When you watch uh, Ninja Turtles 1 as opposed to 2, Secret of the Ooze, 3, and 4, uh, do you see four guys in turtle suits pretending to be turtles? Or do you see four walking, talking, teenage mutant Ninja Turtles? And he's like, I see four walking, talking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and mm-hmm. he, he he got on edge when he, when 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 he realized that for the first time, and uh, I was I like being that prophetic dude every now and then, just kind of fuck with people, and um <laughs> and um and I was like, do you realize that the movie was a, a revenge movie? And he's like, how so? I was like, well, the end the end of the movie, boom, Shredder Shredder's about to kill Leo, and then shroom, yes. I know who you are. Splinter, he's there. He thought he was dead. And just to paraphrase, uh, you killed my master. <laughs> oh, you yeah, killed, completely. You killed my master. And so I trained these turtles. So, uh, so I trained. So what I did, I went out of my way to fall into some retro <laughs> mutagen ooze, mutate these turtles into teenagers, teach them the old ways of ninjutsu just for this moment. And you killed my master and I know who you are. And I'm here to finish the goddamn job. And he just started laughing. He's like, you're right. It's a revenge film. And, um, it just makes me so happy getting to like, you know, perk up people's turtle love because uh, I've never, I've never lost it. Um, in regards to when I mentioned that this is in, uh, uh, in the same vein as team NT, uh, we see the still shots, uh, shots of them pulling Shredder. Um, I'm sorry, the Splinter away. Uh, we're talking 101 script and art. Sophie Campbell colors. Rhonda Pattison letters. Sh- letters. Sean Lee editors. Editor Bobby Kernow. Story consulting Kevin Eastman and Tom Walt. So they hand this off to. They handed this off something very delicate to a new team. And they're they're crying over Splinter's body. You see the burial. You see Raph discard his headband, and mm. Baxter Baxter Stockman is. They're building a wall around Ground Zero in Manhattan, where the mass mutagenic terrorist uh, attack happened. So they're walling in all the the mutants that just were unwillingly turned into mutants. And trying to uh, rein up all the ones that managed to escape with old Hob, uh, one of the guys that manufactured this. And you get a piece of the diary from all four turtles. Raph is doing exactly what what you would expect him to do. He is – he's now wearing a black hood around his eyes like a a hoodie. Yeah. And he's uh, vigilante policing the the town inside the walls. And there's – you know, 
there's food being dropped to them, not enough aid being brought at all, and it's it's kind of messed. Yes, it's it's like DMZ. Okay. And you you see the turtles. Uh, Michelangelo barely can get out of bed. Same thing with uh, April O'Neil. You see her in her apartment. It's just laundry everywhere, unpacked boxes. If I was writing this, and if it wasn't a turtles book that they're doing their best to keep as PG as possible, there should have there. You see one like bottle of wine and a little bit of wine in one glass, but it should have been like a bunch of empty bottles and an overflowing ashtray. <laughs> it it resonates, and we've got we've got a new turtle dealing with things she's helping she's helping these the 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 little kids that turned into mutants that are living on the streets and eating out of the garbage and helping them that's all i gotta tell you guys and but at the same time though there's there's bigger threats now you've never seen a giant mutant porcupine and the streets being run by evil mutants that are just basically just gang members but I would highly recommend it. This is one of the best books that's come out uh, in the entire month. <coughs> man, these man, cholera has been killing me, man. Like, oh. I love it. I love it here, but man, like the my allergies are going crazy. Um, we did the X Men. We did Ninja Turtles. Uh, let's do Thor. Dude, we both read that one, right? Uh, we're talking about Thor number one. Uh, Cosmic Thor, Donny Cates. Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Donny Cates, uh, color artist Matthew Wilson, artist Nick Klein, and, uh, oh, look at this, letterer and designer VCs Joe Sabino. Man, we need to write these down, so that would be six. Yeah, that's a, well, that's, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of different virtual Vir- calligraphy. Virtual calligraphy, man. Kudos, you guys. Keep kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I'll tell you, yeah, it's, it seems like it's been decades and decades of Thor being who Thor is, and it has been, and it just only makes sense that Thor should by now be the king of Asgard, period. And he's having, he's, he's, he's having, he's having some trouble because Mjolnir is getting heavier and heavier. I don't think that you can be worthy of Mjolnir and be king. That's fascinating. It's a question That's about a, whether paradox. or not he's going to let that be a problem for him. <laughs> I, I I did like the intro where he sends it across all the realms and Tony Stark returns it back to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, uh, he didn't. Sorry, he didn't return return it. He wrote a message. Well, wrote, on wrote, it the, wrote the message. Yeah. <laughs> that was clever. Mm. Yeah. Fun little bit of snarkiness that I did get a chuckle from that was expected from the uh, what we were talking about earlier, like how we're tired of that that expected snarky jokes, and it, it was it was it worked this time. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Uh, well, I like his new costume at the end of the issue, though. <sighs> Loved it. That was that was yeah. beautiful. I love how it incorporates the uh, runic. Um, iconographic character that he put into Yggdrasil, the world tree. Um, the story is that he, that Thor is now King. This is post war of the realms. Uh, 
he did this feat at the beginning of it. He's king of Asgard, and he flung Mjolnir to Earth to destroy a giant monster that was attacking New York City. Cap and Iron Man were there trying to deal with it, and um, the Mjolnir flew through each realm as it got to Midgard, Earth, and before he pulled it back, Tony Stark wrote a message to Thor in Sharpie on it that was just, you know, hey, enjoy your retirement, you know. Just good-natured jokes, but Thor is missing his old life. He is not settled into the idea of being king of Asgard and king of the Ten Realms. And, um... Then he's getting ready to do a uh, speech to all of the Asgardians, and then Galactus just crash lands on Asgard. Now, Galactus shows up. The new uh, Silver Surfer Black appears and says, hey, this is what's going on. The thing that destroyed the previous universe is in our universe now, and it's definitely Galactus just fought it and survived somehow. Yeah, I, I like the fact that Galactus, when Galactus comes to and they realize it's a cosmic threat and Surfer organized as many as the uh, heralds as he could, minus uh-huh. Terax, minus Terax, uh, obviously, because he just got his ass beat last year by a superior Spider-Man um, that they Galactus is like, yeah, this is what happens. It appears as a different entity to, you know, like everyone else, like when we talk about. Uh, Sandman about how uh, oh, yeah. Morpheus Morpheus appears as a giant ball of flame to uh, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, because their idea of him was a giant ball of flame, as opposed to Robert Smith uh, that hadn't been in the sun for a year. And not trying to be a joke, that, that, that's basically how it is, how he appears <laughs> to us. And Galactus is like, yeah, I'm here to stop what really is going to be the end of everything. It's going to be you. And it it really put a lot of things in perspective because in in order to get to where we are in that story in just one issue where he drops that bombshell of a revelation that Thor is going to be the one that is going to end everything and and in regards to all the different stories that are going on with Galactus right now and I'm I'm curious why they they've got such a an interest in Galactus integrating in so many stories uh, whether if it's in just Doom. Like Doom. Or, yeah. or fantastic, or Fantastic Four, or even in um, the uh, the some off stories in Immortal Hulk, where um, the Hulk is going to be the new uh, what's uh, what's his name? The what was Galactus's name before he became Galactus? Galen. Um, Galen. That the new Galen is going to be uh, Bruce Banner, the Hulk. And then also within the pages of the history of the Marvel Universe where Franklin Richards is talking to Galactus and Galactus is trying to give him as much information before Franklin becomes that particular new entity to start the, the, right. the first pers- person in the new universe. So we've got that going on. But we also have a lot of interesting um, – I'm going to say pop-ups, things to be wary of. The fact that Loki is subservient to Thor for the first time. Like when he bowed to him, that was a huge deal to me. Um, Also the fact that um, Odin's, uh, Odin's Ravens, huge, huge and immune. uh, I can never pronounce it right. uh, Thought and memory are his heralds. 
Uh, oh, the good fact point. that Harold's way to yeah, good phrasing. Mm-hmm. The fact that you know because he's missing EI, um, guys. Uh, there's a really good old school um, metal song. I have to reference. Give me just a second to ramble on while I pull this up. It's a Bathory song. Uh, if you guys like good old school metal, called One Eyed Man, and you're talking about good metal, chug and punk. And one thing in between with Odin proclaiming himself, I, I gave an eye for more knowledge, yet you crave more, and I see more. And and it's like all these things are just going on in my head uh, while I'm reading these th- this particular book. And Donny Cates is knocking it out of the park, man. Like, uh, But I, I'm, I, I just hope he doesn't get too far and things get over-eclipsed with Donny Cates and he kind of takes over too much and – the way uh, Bendis did for a while, and it got kind of tiresome. Mm. And yeah. I, I, I hope he stays mm. cosmic and, and keeps pumping out good things without too many cooks in the kitchen giving him too many notes about what he should and should not do. Uh, again, Thor's just like you said, Thor's costume was great. Oh yeah, when you know the yeah Thor Herald of Galactus, he's got his eye back. Uh, he's got his arm back also. He doesn't have the destroyer arm, right? Correct. I mean, you look at that and you're like, okay, well, how does Thor get to being Thor again? This might be the way that it happens, you know? Um, maybe a big deal happens and he can be made whole. Do Do we really want Thor to be Thor again? No, I, mean, I like, want there to be consistent, lasting... New storylines? New new bad yeah. guys? No, I'm tired of throwbacks. I don't God, mind so throwbacks. throwbacks. I don't mind, like... I don't mind retellings and, and throwbacks, but I also don't need retcons. You know, I don't want something that resets the entire universe again. So, so tired of it. Yeah, you know, a Heroes Reborn or whatever. It's just like, hey, all of that stuff that we did was cool, but we're going to set it back to this because this is what you guys need as, as uh, you know, buyers to feel comfortable like you can't change things that much and yeah can, can you can you imagine that. can you imagine being in the bullpen in like 76 and jim shooter saying we need to retcon everything and you're you're, you're steve gerber like retcon what the hell are you talking about <laughs> like like we're we're creating new universes here uh yeah, New Gods kind of sucked, but we're still we still liked it, and we're doing our best to do uh, make better Doctor Strange, Adam Warlock stories. And man, just don't do that to us anymore. Keep keep this vibration you're on, uh, Mister Cates, going because the cosmic the cosmic uh, entities, the cosmic universe is is so big because it's a whole universe whether the um there like what was that comic where the the new bad guy had the uh, a sliver of eternity's face that was amazing i'm drawing a blank on that one that was in man that was uh god like it was it was a it was one i read really quick last week um he God, he's got the face of eternity. He's he's got two guns. I, I'm, I can't believe I can't remember his name. It, it really stuck out to me. I was really excited about Wait, this is character. It the, uh, is it the um, Marvel Comics one thousand one? No, it was something else. It, he might have been in that, but I didn't read one thousand one. Starbrand or something, right? No, it was something else. Okay. Um, but our, our listeners will know if they've read it. 
Yeah, if you guys know, let us know. Maybe we'll remember by the end of the show, but I don't know. <laughs> right. But your your excitement about talking about when you when when you and I are hanging out in your house and we're playing magic and you just all of a sudden like pause the game for two hours to it just go to your archives and talk about Doctor Strange. <laughs> uh, not even Howard the Duck. You, you don't even touch on that. You, you're getting on like this this page. Look at this. While you're looking at that, I'm going to find this. Your excitement in that is the exact reason why retcon should not happen unless they accidentally do like clone like you know clone saga again or something. Well, that's like that. what we were talking <laughs> about in our technical difficulties. Just because we have technical difficulties doesn't mean that we uh, quit talking. Um, yeah. We were, uh, we were, I was letting my computer deal with its issues and Joshua and I were talking about Kylo Ren some more and we were saying like, if anything that needs to be like that, yeah, that kind of information needs to be paid attention to. Where does this come from? You got the first three movies that we watched ever in Star Wars and you look at it and this is this is an across the board thing for an, all franchises. You got something that establishes the existence of it and you're like, okay, this is credulity. This is reasonable enough that we can all understand it. And this is the way it is and oh, this thing should remain mysterious. But then you do a prequel series and you take something that's mysterious and amazing and you're like, oh yeah, we're going to make it scientific and say that it's midichlorians. Oh, how we how there was weeping and woe in the streets. And so then you go in and you make these next three movies, which were totally jacked up. And if anything needs to be explored, it's Kylo Ren. But, like, we're never going to get to know that because everything is not going to be on screen. And so continuity doesn't really ever make any sense henceforth. Because if it's, like I say, that's like what we said earlier. If it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. Well, if it's not in the movie... It didn't really happen. I don't care what the comic books say or who's writing it or whatever else. J.J. Abrams or anybody else for that matter. Like, go to Star Trek. Do I really, really think that Countdown is continuity? No, I really don't. I don't. Explain I don't. it away in the movie, in the in Picard Not- the TV series. That's where it will make sense to us. So that was the whole thing. You're looking at everything that we ever looked at before, and we love it. And then somebody comes along and says, yeah, all those books that you, all those expanded universe novels that you paid attention to and loved and you spent money on and you listened to the audio books and you thought it was great. Yeah, forget all of that. Because now we're telling you that the First Order and General Hux and, um, you know, the Resistance versus the Rebellion and Leia's a princess, but she's General Leia now and just whatever. And she's like, ah, what? 20 years. This is what we had going, and it was awesome. And then you fuck it up in one movie. One movie. One one movie you just instrumentally get. And, and I, I don't even blame them because I, I, I still blame it on the Disney people I don't even know that decide that Kylo Ren needs a puppy now. And then, like, you <laughs> yeah. know, because the, the – the He's got a pet org. Our our, uh, our studies say that people love puppies now, so Kylo needs a puppy. And then also, man, God, you're you're right. And and that's I, but man, that's what you we're know, looking I, at here. I, I gotta say, this is my favorite comic of the month um, because pretty, of the uh, pretty possi- ballsy. 
Yeah. The 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 exa- exactly. And I, I wonder if and I, man, I would kill to be a fly on the wall for those writer retreats. Like, hey, you like I'm wondering if it's like okay, Thor's got to do this, Thor's gonna do this. Uh, Danny, you've got this, or or is it more of a like, hey, Danny, you got a Thor story for us? Oh uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, just do what you got to do. I, I'm hoping it's that as opposed to some giant writer's meeting, but it couldn't be because it's so well written and all the references we were talking about and God, what you brought up in in the fact that like silver surfer black wasn't like ignored the way that uh, age of Ultron was ignored And and, and listeners, if <laughs> you, if, if you've watched age of Ultron and you liked it, I'm glad you did. I liked that movie myself. However, uh, about a year beforehand, Age of Ultron came out in a, I want to say, a 12-issue storyline that had nothing to do with what you saw on screen, and it was groundbreaking. But it was ignored like it didn't happen. Oh, precisely, because that was a cash grab. Hey, we yeah, have this Ultron-based movie coming out. We might as well do uh, an Ultron. I mean, honestly, the movie took the name Age of Ultron from the comics, whether or not it Agreed. had anything to do Agreed. with what was the the material in the comics. Agreed. And I honestly I mean the movie was I thought the movie was awesome. I thought that was a great telling of the Ultron story minus the fact that unfortunately Hank Pym was not involved in it cuz they hadn't done anything with Ant-Man yet. Agreed um, and the fact that they couldn't use the word Latveria. Oh, there's that. Yeah. And furthermore Simparia. You know, if it's a Disney property, your Hank Pym is definitely never going to have been a uh, wife beater. Uh, like, you know, the things that you can't you can't make Hank Pym a redeemable character in Marvel Comics after that. Period. Uh, uh, the only uh, I agree, except the fact that you've got Michael Douglas playing him. So uh, uh, my, my idea of Michael Douglas has always been up and down. Uh, for for one, I would never would have uh, betrayed uh, Glenn, Clo- Glenn Close. I would have definitely picked her. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, come on. No, you know, no, no joke. I, I, that, I'm a big fan of him going back as far as uh, uh, Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile. Those That was how I was introduced to him. I, I agree, but the the ups and downs that we've had of Michael Douglas, I think they could have pulled off him slapping Janet right across the face, and not that I wanted to see that, but or condone really or condone that sort of thing. Explain that away, or, or or condone that sort of thing. But I think they could have pulled that off within the story, um, <clears throat> building up to what Ant Man was. But they just you know they they barely even touched uh, Tony Stark's alcoholism, which was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, which was a big deal that most people don't understand. Uh, I, I, but they picked the right guy. I'm, I'm, I'm on the right wavelength. Let here. me they give the, you they the, picked the right guy. You're they right. Picked, they picked the right guy, the the, the ex alcoholic druggie, to redeem oh, and, and and do Robert. You know, you know, he, he 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 did it. He mm-hmm. pulled off who Iron Man was because that's part of his his history. I'm not saying that Michael Douglas ever slapped his wife around, but if they were going to put that in a movie. I would have understood that from what I've known because I'm 37 and seen a bunch of his movies. And, you know, he's always he's either been a piece of shit or someone really fun um, to to do that story. Uh, I'm kind of sad they didn't do it, but at the same time, you know, they pulled it off with or without it. So it's not. I'll tell you this: 
I'll give you the gimme. I'll give you guys, I'll give Marvel Comics and Disney the idea that came from somebody else that could easily be utilized to explain away all of this weirdness that has happened in the Hank Pym storyline. Two things. If you go back and look at Star Trek episode, The Ultimate Computer, where Dr. Richard Daystrom has developed an amazing thing. An amazing thing. And then everybody knows who he is and everybody knows he's awesome. He's got to develop another amazing thing. Or he's a one-trick pony. And he shows up with the M5 computer that they install onto, what is it, five different Constitution-class starships, of which there were only supposed to be 12. And these are the best, the brightest, the most badass ships that the Federation has. The idea is that they would be able to reduce the crew complement of every one of these starships to just this computer. This computer can go out and it can do all the exploring and no no need to blah, blah, blah. And, well, the whole idea is that ah. this guy, ah. this guy has developed something so incredible that now it really cements him as one of the greats in terms of society and alter, like uh, artificial intelligence and computer programming, etc., except that it's a disaster and thousands of people lose their lives. And yet there's still a Daystrom Institute in the 24th century that gets mentioned over and over again. So things being what they are, it's the question... What business does Hank Pym have after Pym Particles trying to dick around with artificial intelligence and thus creating Ultron on purpose slash by accident? Well, why not? Exactly. Um, it's the same why thing. Why not? I did something yeah. amazing, but I'm not a one-trick pony. I'm young. I've got more in my mind. I've got to do other stuff. He, I've got to, I got to do, I got to do Reed Richards one better. You know, that it's, guy's it's, out there. He's awesome, but I've got the personality inefficiency. You know, I, it's, it's, it's Jeff Goldblum. You, you didn't question whether or not you should. Oh yeah, completely. And that's why Hank Pym is a problem. It doesn't matter whether or not he should to him. It's a matter of, I've got to do it so I can be big so that I can compete so that I can be known as the guy. I've got to be the guy. His personal foboils are the problems. And why? You know, he and Jan are a different type of family than Reed and Sue and Johnny and Ben and the kids. And I... I the thing that, The thing that was projected to me from a friend of mine was the idea that Maybe Kang is the guy to be blamed. A guy who can time travel, who's got it in for the Avengers, who could set all of these different situations up to where Hank Pym would feel it necessary to do these things and thus end up becoming Yellow Jacket and slapping his wife and then becoming a tarnished person and then... Yeah, you're amazing, but you're dismissed because we can't trust you as an Avenger because you did this to a fellow Avenger or whatever. And it's just that kind of stuff. If Kang was fiddling around with Hank Pym throughout all of time, right? where is the real timeline? We're existing in the timeline where 
Hank Pym is a tarnished person. Where's the timeline where that didn't happen and where he was successful 100% of the time? And uh, so there's so much less to fight and there's uh, so much less trouble because Ultron didn't happen and because Ultron didn't happen and so Morgan Le Fay wasn't a big deal and blah, 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 blah. What world are we living in if that's the case? I, that's a whole other I know. continuity. No, 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 I, I agree. And, and comics are a really good commentary on uh, what's going on socially, politically. Why not not worry about that and focus on a timeline or any sort of story where we can redeem Hank Pym? Because, man, I've made mistakes in my life and, and we've got a cancel culture going on where if you – did anything wrong, they're going to try to shut you down, get you fired from your job and just destroy you and ruin you for all time. I would like to see a storyline where we could write a redeemable story about Hank Pym where it's a timeline where he did make those mistakes, somehow redeemed himself. I don't know how. No, you and I started working uh, on that. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I agree. But, I, I don't, but at the same time though um, – we're not saying like create the antithesis of Ultron to, to cancel him out or, uh, but you mentioned something interesting earlier that Hank, Hank wanting to be the biggest guy and he was the biggest guy, but he was still not the biggest guy because he still wouldn't have been able to take out Iron Man and Iron Man was doing the same thing. still trying to be the biggest guy, but within a suit of armor. But then we've got the other foil, the, the, the guy that always makes the right choices, Captain America, um, you know, and then we can get into things like, you know, how they always do that quintessential. We just figured out each other and, or, and we got to fight first. We realize we're on the same, on the same page. Why not use Hank, Hank as a, as, as some sort of way to like redeem things. But we, we, we definitely have to move on because I had an idea for something I got to tell you off of, uh, off of recording. Cause I don't want anyone stealing our ideas. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I, I mentioned earlier, there's a, few comics we might not get to if you're into cthulhu and uh just keep checking out uh immortal hulk because everything gets crazy we're talking about a whole city attacked by different uh, uh, many cthulhu type creatures at the same time joe hill's hill house comics for dc's black label uh the new daphne Byrne. if you're into goth comics and and really just kind of breathing the past here um, if you're into old school, the, the, the type of comics that came out back in early 2000, like Umbrella Academy, John, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, Lenore, we're talking another level for that. And true good, true horror, where it's psychological. And Savage Avengers, where they're introducing Conan. And really, I'm just rushing through this because I got to tell Colin an idea that I cannot tell you guys on, <laughs> on, on, on recording, but... Do you have anything to, to wind us through, man? Uh, Yondu number four. Oh yeah, Yondu was fun, man. Dude, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't realize this was a six part book, um, or whatever it turns into. I, it's it's a uh, this is issue number four, and so uh, we got Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler as the writers. John McCree is the artist. Good job. Very detailed backgrounds. Uh, Mike Spencer is the colorist. Joe Caramagna is the... It's VC's Joe Caramagna is the letterer. And, um... <clears throat> I mean... 
It's it can, carries on the story, but the opportunity here is the uh, is the opportunity for them to explain why there are two Yondus running around, and there's the Yondu that we know from the year three thousand, and there's the current Yondu that is more like the Michael Rooker type from the movie, and um, <clears throat> they're a thousand years apart from one another, and uh, so he tells him the backstory: Why did I? Why don't I have my fin? Why don't? Why did I lose my family? Why don't I get to go home and all of that stuff? So he explains that entire story to him, and it was beautifully retold in that dot matrix dot matrix format that evidences, hey, this is an older story concept, you know, uh, like what we grew up with before computers were doing such an even wash of color, and it was. Uh, dot matrix style does it do you guys even know what that means i mean if you're our age you get it printers dot matrix yeah printers could uh printers could only print in a in an elaborate series of dots that it's like when you think about pixelation um look it up i don't need to explain that crap so the point being that the preface type material came off looking like what old comics looked like and that was a good uh it's not a selling point it's a it's just conceptually the way to do it so good job on you guys the story was good um the rat it explains how he got involved with the ravagers and what his lifestyle became as an exile from centauri uh it's a good book it's a good book, guys. I mean, not everything needs to be explained, but why do we have Guardians of the Galaxy happening now when that's a thing that starts three thousand or a thousand years from now? That's an answer I really want. So you know, here we go. I'm I'm really hoping they expand on the uh, original Guardians with Sylvester Stallone and everyone that they were referencing and and even though it would be a cash grab, bring back Yondu because Michael Rooker, that guy's just the coolest guy. Totally true. That's I'm I'm full, man. I think this transmission's coming to an ending. Okay, man. Um, what else? Anything else? No, oh, man, wow, we, we got all through uh, my my material. I'll say this week, um, my son and I, he got me for my birthday a uh, gift card for a wizard's asylum. So if you're in that retail sphere and you know what that is. Um, in uh, in the Tulsa, in the uh, Norman region? They've got Oklahoma. some up in Kansas, apparently. And um, Really? Good yeah. for them. Uh, so there's one in Tulsa. I had, I had a gift card. Um, I went there and picked out a bunch of stuff. We, uh, I told you I'm in an arms race with him because of his murder factory Pokemon deck. Um, so I went in there and we looked at some stuff and he was like, look at that one. I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy that. Cause that'll compete with what you've got. If not overwhelming, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it will crush you father. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are in that world now. Uh, I found a nice Heroclix Fast Forces set on their half-off discount table. I didn't even know it existed. It's from the Battle World set that came out in the last couple of years, and it is a Runaways set. You mentioned the Runaways earlier. Um, and I, I, I feel um, 
Like, it's unfortunate that I did not catch that TV series on Freeform. Likewise, I did not watch Cloak and Dagger, but that was never a compelling story or character set to me for some reason. They were cool like, in Maximum Carnage, but... I, I like... Yeah, I like... They were great in Maximum Carnage. I like them from a nostalgic point of view because uh, for some reason I just loved them. I've got a bunch of random issues with them the way I love Dazzler. Uh, by the way, there is an amazing new uh, Toy Biz uh, style. You know when uh, um, St- Star Wars started doing the... Putting Kenner back on the logo? They oh, started yeah. Doing, they started doing uh, – I was at – when I went to go get my new hard, uh, external hard drive and bought Joker, um, they had a Dazzler action figure that I immediately bought. It was $20. It, it, but it was 70s style. It, like – or not 70s. Mm-hmm. Obviously early 80s uh, with the headband and it was it was post her roll It was post roller skates. And uh, they had a, a new Scott Summers – they were beautiful. They were great. Uh, like uh, if, I, if I'd had the money, it was I honestly had to make the decision between Dazzler and Wolverine. I picked Dazzler. <laughs> uh, I, I picked Dazzler. Um, so so those toys are out now. Um, man, I mean, when you're thinking, when you're talking about like uh, Luca beating you in a your your son. I'm sorry. Uh, we all edit his name no, out. His, his name is Luca, guys. It, it's a great name. Um, beating you in Pokemon, I imagine if it's like one of those things like when your dad's like shit at you for whatever reason and you're like, man, I just want to kick this guy's ass. Just <laughs> and but but now it's gonna be like, man, I'm gonna whoop his ass in Pokemon and he's gonna freaking feel it. <laughs> he had if you guys know anything about playing Pokemon cards, you've got like the way you win, you can win about four different ways and one of them is you have six prize cards that come out of your constructed deck and um so every time you defeat one of their Pokemon, you get to pull a prize card and when you have run out of prize cards, you've won. Uh unless you're defeating an EX or a GX version of them, and then you get to pull two prize cards. Or you can you can lose by not having a basic level Pokemon to field. That's happened to me a couple of times recently, even in my Eevee deck, and uh, or Eeveelution deck. And then uh, <clears throat> I have also lost because we ran out of cards. It's a 60-card deck, and I've run out of cards and just been like, I got nothing left. You totally just killed me. I got five prize cards left and, like, epic-level long-ass games. We were playing a long one the other day, and he got super pissed because he lost a guy. And I was like, what are you complaining about? I have one prize card left. You've just got to get rid of this one guy. That's the, it's, it's so crazy and fun being a parent he just and, wanted to crush you. Exactly. Like, <laughs> looking at your child who is irrationally pissed about the quality of their gamesmanship, and I'm like, dude, you got to kill one more of my guys. <laughs> like, you have four prize cards left. Shut up. Like, <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah, no, he still beat me. I took I took another couple of his prize cards because I got a Zygarde out there. I love you're, Zygarde. You're legit losing to your kid, ain't you? <laughs> He's got guys that he pulled out of his Christmas present boxes that have 290 hit points and and crush you <laughs> on their basic attacks with, like, two or three energy for 130 every time they do it. It's like, here, have, have a... 
I don't know, have a B-52 that's fully loaded with nukes. That's what no I gave wonder- to him for Christmas. No so. wonder he gets so pissed when he plays magic with you. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. He's like, Dad, I'm a little bored of fighting your vampires. And I'm like, well, it's the only thing that's putting up with your shit, so. <laughs> so the yeah, only that's... other thing I got this week that I'm excited about uh, is um, <laughs> uh, we when we were playing Pokemon, I was playing music, uh, and YouTube was like, oh, yeah, you know, you like that music. Maybe you'll like some other Michael Kamen scores. And I was like, hell yeah, man. Like Die Hard, Highlander, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, my God. I forgot how much fun that movie is. So I found a copy of it for like five bucks tonight. I can't wait to show that to my son. uh, I don't know what my kids when I eventually have a kid is going to go through because all of my scores. I've got the Exorcist, the Heretic on 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 vinyl i've got uh on the the entire score of unsolved mysteries on two vinyl uh, one vinyl set uh the, the uh the ninth gate <laughs> miami vice so many girls that are right up your alley and you just don't live in the correct state bud no no even if i lived in the correct state i've got better stuff to do than uh drown in uh yeah yeah, yeah yeah i know that story no, 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 I'm not referencing anything <laughs> in particular. What, what I'm saying is drowning like, oh, man, that was fun. Uh, let's go smoke a cigarette. And here's my poetry. And this was not worth it. <laughs> that, that's that's not, I'm not doing I, that, that's, guys. That's what I, no, I'm not referencing anything to do with you. I just I don't want to. Obviously, gothics are awesome until they pull out their poetry post quarterly and you're smoking a cigarette and you have to put up with it. Otherwise, you're an asshole. Anyways. Uh, the transmission is over. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Uh, best minefields ever. This transmission is ending. This is dangerous. Colin, Joshua, Michael, out. <laughs>